Hello and welcome to A Smashing Theory, the ultimate prediction podcast for Super Smash Bros. and other video games. I'm Daniel. And I'm Sean. And hey, everybody. Yes. Uh, how How's everybody been? Hope you've been doing okay in Ye- this crazy world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things have been kind of rough lately. One thing that's apparent is uh the the most gaming news we have to talk about right now is the fact that uh, there isn't a whole lot of gaming news because the apocalypse shut it all down yeah so you know obviously uh i think anyone listening to this has probably been affected by the coronavirus in some way at this point so you know obviously we just hope that everybody's safe that you're doing okay and that you're that you're healthy and even if you're not healthy that you're you know you're you're staying staying home and and uh and not not getting too too messed up over all this cuz yes. yeah i this is obviously kind of a weird unprecedented situation <laughs> like i have i have definitely never experienced anything like this in my lifetime yeah but you know i also i also think that it's it's something that it's something that sh- that should definitely be taken seriously, and I'm glad it's being taken seriously. Yes. Um. And I I think as as long as we're all caref- careful, that you know we'll that a lot of us will be okay. Mm-hmm. Some like you know obviously some of us already aren't, and I I hope things go better. Yeah, but you know the I think that the best we can do is the best we can do. You know, make sure that you're being careful. Make sure that you're being sanitary and make sure that you're looking after your loved ones and, you know, you will come out of this situation as well as you can. Yeah. And if you have to self-isolate, just remember that this is our 58th episode of this podcast and there's 57 <laughs> other episodes for you to listen to if you want. Uh, uh, yeah, on on that note, um, no, no corrections from last episode. Yeah, we, we're awesome. Yeah, we're just really great. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh but also yeah uh like we've touched on not much gaming news except for the fact that like e3's canceled yeah uh gdc got canceled basically a lot of things that sean and i would be predicting in the next couple of months uh now are are just not happening in 2020 Mm -hmm. although you know in e3's case uh enough companies have already confirmed that they're going to be doing like a digital equivalent yeah ubisoft microsoft uh square enix i Mm -hmm. think um that you know sean and i will be able to do like kind of a digital e3 special still yes and i'm I'm looking forward to that because that's you know i would i think i'd miss that a lot if we didn't get to do it yeah we gotta predict on here yeah but this episode uh Actually, isn't about the future. It's about the past. I, yes. I already already said that for games of the year. Instead of predicting, we're reacting <laughs> extremely slowly. <laughs> this uh, this is our games of the decade episode, voted for us on a poll by our Patreons yes. on Patreon.com/slash/BeatBoopGroup. We uh, we gave them several options for things we can talk about in this episode, including. Our second anniversary Q and A, more coverage of our Smash Bros. cinematic universe, <laughs> and I like the word coverage. There, it's as though it's really happening, and we're the reporters. I mean, yeah, the, the Smash Bros. cinematic universe, 
a spring 2020 release schedule thing mm-hmm. where we just kind of like predict things about games that are coming out uh, in spring 2020. But our winner was Games of the Decade. Yeah, and we've got them. We have them. Yeah, turns out that a while back, just for funsies, uh, Sean and I and some other mutual friends just put together a top ten list of our Games of the Decade. Yes. And that was actually because of our former Play This co-host, Max, who yeah. sent us a text that just said, top ten Games of the Decade, go. <laughs> and then we went. Yes. Uh, I I put a lot of thought into mine. Like mine took longer than everyone else's. Yeah, but... although mine has seen some substantial revisions since that day. Mine too. Yeah, yeah actually, I revised mine from last week. <laughs> we we finished our last episode by kind of sharing our tenth spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and my tenth spot is different now. <laughs> but yeah, really, we don't much else to talk about, right? Besides games of the decade. So I guess we'll get into it. All right, uh, Sean, I each have five honorable mentions so we'll just kind of each blow through those and you know touch on them a little bit but not too much yeah uh sean just riley smiling because we never it wasn't it wasn't that i thought of a bit i'm sorry oh okay (laughs) what was the bit uh that we should say our first honorable mention simultaneously because it's the same thing oh yeah sure we can do that uh our first honorable mention is super Super smash Smash brothers Brothers ultimate (laughs) fantastic <laughs> we're great at speaking together <laughs> so yes uh i i think i think this is a good spot for yeah. smash bros you know it's um yeah not quite in either of our top tens for the whole decade 20 yeah. 2010 through 2019 but the, for me that's like that's not because it isn't a quality game and that's not because it doesn't deserve it i just like i don't know i didn't play it as much as a lot of other games i didn't uh I quite get into it as much as other games, and so it's in the honorable mentions. I played it a whole bunch, but uh, God, yeah, yeah, still still less than the average person. But you um, know, well, you... not the average person, but still probably probably still less than a lot of people listening to this podcast. Sure, yes, that's true. But I, you, you I yeah, the whole I, world of light. <laughs> I did, yeah. I like the hell out of Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's a really good game, and it's it's just a real feat of development. Oh and yeah, a real feat of like. Just a, it's a great crossover. It's a great fighting game. Mm-hmm. It's a great party game. Yes, it's it's good. You know, it's it's really good, mm-hmm. and it's one of the is one of the newest games that's on my top ten. You know, like uh oh yeah, like it came out. I think it might have come out the most recently out of my list because I try to avoid things like recency bias. I try to be like, okay, well, am I am I feeling really strongly about this game because I I played sure. it. You know, like two months ago, and it was great. That's yeah, that's totally fair. But yeah, I think Smash Bros. Ultimate is just like very clearly an excellent video game, and I I don't need to give it an extra two years to exist just <laughs> to figure that out. So okay, yeah. My other honorable mentions include uh, Pokemon Heart Gold. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably my favorite. It's probably still kind of my favorite Pokemon game. Okay. Um, but it's a remake of a Pokemon game that came out in 2001, so sure. it felt weird to keep it in my top 10. Yeah. And also, like, I, I say that kind of shakily because I think other Pokemon games have come out that have done things much, that have done certain things much yeah. better than Pokemon Heart Gold did. It's just some of my favorite things about Pokemon, like, 
some of my favorite things that Pokemon has sometimes, but not always, like a robust post game, mm-hmm. and and like lots of lots of specific interactions and little things like your Pokemon following you and you mm-hmm. getting to talk to your Pokemon and um those things have still been done best and most recently with Pokemon Heart Gold, you know? Yeah, and you know, I think that like while it is important obviously to not look back at your gaming experience with like completely and utterly rose-tinted goggles when you're compiling a list like this. Sure. It is also important to consider your experience and your feeling that you had for the game in the context of its time. And I sure. think in that respect, it's a great Pokemon game. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I I had a fucking blast with Pokemon Heart Gold. Yeah. Um and I still think it's aged really well. Mm-hmm. So even though even though there is no definitive Pokemon experience, <laughs> it just does not exist. Yeah. I think Pokemon Heart Gold might still be kind of the closest uh things get to that. Cool. Well what's we give I guess we'll take turns. What's okay. what's one of your honorable mentions? Another honorable mention is uh Mortal Kombat, i.e. Mortal Kombat Nine. Right. Uh, so the first of the modern Mortal Kombats. Yes. And this is an honorable mention for me because even though it has some serious problems, like, for instance, if you are the left player, you always win when you trade, uh, (laughs) which is insane. That is insane. Uh, There are some costumes for the female characters that were embarrassing then and are even more embarrassing now. Yeah. Uh, This is still the game that redeemed Mortal Kombat, you know? Like, this is the game that took Mortal Kombat from being, like, this fun but completely unbalanced and non-competitive experience that was really more of a gory party game than anything. Right. To, like, esports, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Like, they brought in people who loved Mortal Kombat and who were also very good at fighting games and worked with them to make an experience that has only been kind of iterated on and evolved on since then. Yeah. Uh, and if this game didn't exist, uh, the Injustice series wouldn't exist, which frankly I kind of like better than Mortal Kombat at this point in my life. Me too. Uh, so just, yeah, just all together, kind of more uh, more for the effect that it had on fighting games than for the experience of playing the game in and of itself. I am including MK9 as an honorable mention. That's fair. Uh, another honorable mention for me is Overwatch. Nice. Uh, which I I don't really play much at all anymore. Mm-hmm. But my girlfriend, Amy Lee, uh, still... That, that's the game she plays. Yeah, she still <laughs> plays it constantly. And more than just a, a shout-out to her and like me wanting to put on this list because... I, I want one of her favorite games to be present is the fact that when I was playing it and it, like Overwatch probably remains the most I've gotten into a first person shooter. Yeah. I think, I think it is still a game that has done some of the coolest things in that genre. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of really, it kind of really kicked off like, a whole different genre like kind of the hero shooter genre kind of the sure yeah yeah i think you make you know i mean obviously they cribbed a lot from like tf2 yeah but they also added so much yeah and the stuff they added has been cribbed by so many other games it's exactly like overwatch happened and then before overwatch even released like all these different games are trying to rip <laughs> off of overwatch yeah. right like paladins mm-hmm. um Battleborn, right? Uh, um, uh, Apex Legends, Apex Legends, and then now you have well, Riot. It, 
Apex Legends is more of like the battle royale. I mean, that's it, it, that's it cribs true. a few things. Yeah, they from definitely Overwatch. like the hero abilities and stuff. Like, is a hundred percent Overwatch. Yeah, I they think. they they were like, let's put some Overwatch into PUBG. Yes. Yeah. And now, um, Riot is doing the same thing. They're basically just mashing Overwatch and Counter Strike together and making a first person shooter. Yeah. Oh, and Quake Champions. Yeah. 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 A, a lot and a lot of these games have just fucking like died already mm-hmm. or are much less relevant now. No, it was like it was like the uh like anytime a sort of new genre or subgenre comes along, I feel like this happens. Like this yeah. this happened with MMOs, like World of Warcraft had a lot of success, then a lot of other MMOs came out and then died very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh this happened with MOBAs, right? Oh, like yeah, if you yeah. look at that landscape now, it's just League of Legends and Dota. Yeah. And before you had like Heroes of New Earth and all this other weird shit. Oh yeah, remember Paragon? Yeah, Paragon, right. Yeah. yeah uh yeah and, and really like battle royale is kind of doing that mm-hmm. shit too it's we're, we're kind of like seeing that like <laughs> emerge and also fizzle out yes. already yeah. yeah i'd agree with that uh it's it's cool to see apex kind of like do its best to mm-hmm. to like kind of keep its head in the ring though i think if i think if my honorable mentions list could be like 40 games long <laughs> apex legends might be in there somewhere that's fair I just appreciate the feats that game accomplishes, but yeah, Overwatch, uh, just yeah, just an incredibly polished experience mm-hmm. with some you know some really great character designs that both Amy and I have gotten really attached to, and and even though it borrowed from so many other games and genres, uh, it, they kind of all combined into an experience that felt really unique and really just special to me. So nice. yeah. Cool. I think that's valid. Yeah. Give give me give me another honorable mention. All right. Uh, my next honorable mention is Tekken Seven, which, funnily enough, is a game that I've probably played for a grand total of two hours since it came out. <laughs> like I don't play Tekken Seven, but we go to and watch fighting game tournaments. Yeah, you know, at least one a year, and. I always look forward to watching Tekken 7. I think that it is one of the most fun fighting games to watch that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And even though I don't play it, that's really just because, like, I find the idea of crossing over from 2D to 3D fighting games, like, intimidating. And that game is not super user-friendly. I think that you could make an argument that Tekken 7 is, in fact, the best fighting game that's, like, out and being played uh, that regularly sees play in the tournament circuit. Like, it's just a really Mm. great game. They've added so much stuff into it to make it really exciting and interesting. Uh, I appreciate, you know, that even though most characters don't have, like, fireballs and fancy special moves you can still tell that they feel really different from one another to play and have different things that they do yeah uh god just a great game really really good yeah 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 it would easily be on my list if i played it but i don't yeah no like i i don't play tekken 7 also really but damn it i respect Tekken. yes exactly yeah no yeah I, i think that's a really good pick for honorable mentions cool uh another honorable mention for me uh, we, we each have five honorable mentions total. We just, like, keep, like, a, and another yes. honorable mention. <laughs> right, yeah. I, <laughs> I wonder which one this is. <laughs> it's honorable. Whoa. Uh, um, my fourth honorable mention is 428 Shibuya Scramble. Mm-hmm. Uh, just 
it's it's a it's a visual novel uh that takes place in Tokyo and instead of like an anime art style all the characters are are real actors the entire game is like live action like pictures yes. and and sometimes like you know like cutscenes it's uh, awesome that are just filmed and yeah it's, it's so great it's god this is technically a game that came out in like 2008 or 2009 in Japan mm-hmm. when it came out for the first time for like the Wii. Right. Uh but it didn't get localized until a couple of years ago. And I fucking yeah. It's it's an incredibly weird game. Yes. Uh and it's like if you've never really gotten into visual novels as a genre before, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd recommend you start with 428, <laughs> but if you if you know you like visual novels, I think 428 is like kind of a must experience oh, yeah. kind of kind of game because it 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 just it does things that are so unique to visual novels and are so unique to storytelling in video games. Yeah. And the the characters are amazing and it's like it can be, Fortuna can be a really funny game, mm-hmm. a hilarious game, but it can also be really emotional and really heart wrenching and really yes. like suspenseful and tense. It manages to take what what seem to be these sort of like very low production values, uh-huh. you know, and really tell this remarkable story. And I think that the sort of clean interface and even the relatively limited gameplay stuff that it has going on relative to other kinds of games yeah just serve to enhance what they're doing to a really impressive degree absolutely yeah that game's rad as hell yeah uh you would give give me give me uh so my next honorable mention is on daniel's top 10 so i'm not going to talk about it right now okay <laughs> what's uh, your next honorable mention Yu-Gi-Oh! duel links Yu-Gi-Oh! duel links Yu-Gi-Oh! duel links that is the sound that daniel would wake up to every day for years <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! duel links <laughs> get your duel disc yug hey i'm from brooklyn joey <laughs> uh but I'm also from Japan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I I gotta put Duel Links on the list as an honorable mention because it managed to have its hooks in me for basically three years straight. Yeah. I haven't played it in, like, a month now. Mm-hmm. I haven't even turned it on in, like, the last, like, three weeks or so. Uh, and that's that's a weird feeling. Yes, that is unusual for Daniel. Because yeah, because I've like last month was the first time that I that I missed an event that unlocks a character. Yes, I I just did. I I mean I technically like poked my head in, but I didn't play enough to unlock the character. Yeah, it was yeah. the first time I didn't unlock a character in that game. Uh, and yeah, I just I I have a lot of respect for that game. Still, mm-hmm. it the it's the most i've ever felt respected by a game with gotcha bullshit by by like a <laughs> by a gotcha mobile game you know like it's it was incredibly generous for a gotcha mobile game it was very engaging for a gotcha mobile game it mm-hmm. kept having events it kept like giving you new unlockable characters for free and it 
the way that the gotcha worked was a way that was only quasi random. Like, you know, <laughs> if you kept drawing from the same box, you'd be guaranteed to get like that really rare card that you want. Right. It was more almost like the order, you know, in which you would receive it. Yeah, exactly. Was more what was random. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, it, it did some things that I wish more gotcha mobile games learned from, you know, mm-hmm. it did some things that were so cool. And instead, the game just kind of got a little like less generous <laughs> over time as less people started playing it. Right. And they couldn't rely on their whales as much anymore because the whales were leaving. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I guess whales isn't really like a super common terminology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the context of like mobile gaming or free to play gaming, a whale is an extremely wealthy person who spends a lot of money on free to play games. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, because that phenomenon is real, a lot of mobile games cater almost exclusively to whales hoping to draw them in because they'll just make more money from them than they would from a hundred, you know, normal players. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're hoping that that one dude will spend like $50,000 on their game. Yes. As opposed to 50,000 people spending a hundred, a $1. Right. Like, uh, as, as a real life example, Shaquille O'Neal has admitted that he is a whale. Yeah. I think he said in an interview once that he spends something like $4,000 a day on some mobile games. Yeah. Which is like an inconceivable amount of money. Well, I mean, it's $4,000 a day. It's very conceivable, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Nah, I, yeah, that's, that's a lot. There's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I just appreciate Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links for a lot of reasons. One, for all the things it brings to the gotcha mobile genre. Mm-hmm. And two, I didn't even like, I didn't even watch Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> but bef- you do now. Before, Yeah, I do now. Uh-huh. But before but before I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links, I knew almost nothing about that whole franchise. Right. And the presentation values of Duel Links, like the fact that they... They got all the dub voice actors, nearly mm-hmm. all of the dub voice actors back to reprise their roles. Yeah. And like, and the characters would all have like unique dialogues <laughs> with each other, you know? Like mm-hmm. if you fought, if you fought Joey with, if you fought Yugi with Joey, then Joey would be like, hey, Yugi, let's play card games. And <laughs> right. I, you know, it just little touches. It was filled with incredible little touches. Yeah. And in year three, you see those little touches less and less. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like uh like you know a new a new character will come out and uh and that character will be like oh it's yugi and and yugi will be like it's time to duel right because yeah. dan green did not come in to record new <laughs> voice lines for this new fucking whatever person mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I should stop talking about duel links now you should that's <laughs> true at all times <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it it you know, I've talked about it so much for all these years. It deserves an honorable mention slot sure. at least. No, I agree. I I played it. I didn't play it as long or as hard as you did, but you true. Know, Who has? Uh, I mean, I think that when I stopped, I had unlocked all the characters there were at that time, which was like seven. Right. Uh, and I had a good time with it. It's yeah. A good game. I think there's. I think there's now either almost or slightly over 50 unlockable characters in that game. Holy shit. Right? That that wow. game just keeps getting content. Yeah, it's incredible. That's, that's wild. It's incredible. Um, all right, what's your last honorable mention? My last honorable mention is Dragon's Dogma. Good pick. Which is a weird Capcom game. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like an action-adventure deal where you're in a uh, you know fantasy continent fighting off great evils. 
And yeah. the thing that I really like about it the most, and the reason that it's here, is the pawn system. Yeah. Which was a kind of gameplay mechanic where you had this helper character called a pawn who you could design yourself and mm-hmm. kind of choose their class. And pawns, aside from kind of fighting alongside you and, you know, making commentary as you did various quests, when you turned the game off, they would travel to other players' games and assist other people on their quests and then come back with, like, rewards from the monsters they slayed. Or you might get a quest and then they'll go, like, quick, come this way, and they'll, like, show you a shortcut on how to get there that they learned when they were off fighting with somebody else. Very cool mechanic. Like, just extremely ahead of its time. Yeah. uh, And really, really unique and quirky and interesting. Yeah. uh, You, you, me... And Max yes. from Play This, the three of us kind of did a weird <laughs> multiplayer of that game yeah. where we each bought the game at the same time. The three of us each made our own pawns mm-hmm. and then we sent each other's pawns <laughs> to each other's games yeah. <laughs> and kind of played through it roughly the same pace. Yeah, and that was fun. That was really fun. Uh, but yeah, you know, like um dragon's dogma now is like available on pc and ps4 and it goes on sale constantly yeah definitely check out like a trailer and if it seems like you'd be into it i think in particular if you're into stuff like monster hunter or skyrim just kind of like open world stuff or fighting against big enemies that kind of thing dungeon crawling definitely worth checking out it's a gameplay experience that isn't quite like anything else i'm pretty sure dark arisen uh dragon's dogma dark arisen which is kind of the definitive version of the game yeah i'm pretty sure that's on switch now isn't it oh that's right it is on switch yeah yeah check it out on switch yeah recommend recommend know your audience dude (laughs) drag me more (laughs) bitch (laughs) maybe i will (laughs) you slut (laughs) oh baby uh, uh but that's my last honorable mention great yeah cool <laughs> great i'm so glad you're done talking that's not that's not the vibe i meant to give uh, off that's fine i mean if, if anyone should be glad that anyone's done talking it should be me being glad that you're done talking about dueling <laughs> which you talked about for four times as long as i talked about dragon's dogma i'm sorry it's okay it's, you're very passionate about it i understand I, it's a, it's I, an, it was an important part of your life it, <laughs> For a long period of time, I get it. It's so sad to hear those <laughs> words spoken aloud. Anyway, games of the decade. Yeah. So yeah, we ten we both have ten games. Yep. That we thought were so good that they're on this list that came yeah. out from 2010 to 2019. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about them. Okay. Uh, so I'll I'll start with my number ten. Okay. Um, my number ten. Uh, when we did this, I said my number from last episode, I said my, my number 10 was a different game. Uh, but then I realized that my actual number 10 is persona five. Okay. Which was higher, which was a better ranking on my first draft of this <laughs> list. But really the more I think about persona five, mm-hmm. the lower it gets on the list. Okay. Uh, because I think the persona five is an excellent video game. Yeah. I think it's one of the best, like mechanically especially it's one of the best rpgs i've ever played sure i think also in a vacuum there's lots of really incredible story moments Mm -hmm. lots of great characters to get really attached to and uh and just 
it's it's such a well crafted package of uh incredible graphics and mm-hmm. and just baller music oh yeah the soundtrack is fucking incredible the soundtrack is my favorite part of that game i think it might be mine too yeah. it's definitely up there and and just it's the the persona you know persona 4 and persona 5 i just get sucked in real deep when i play those <laughs> games they're mm-hmm. very good games but of course it's it's always uh it's always tough to talk about persona 5's positives and good conscience with all without also mentioning that it's 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 a it's a problematic mess of a game as a guy whose favorite anime is kill la kill i understand (laughs) yeah like it's it it has some incredible story beats and it has some incredible character arcs Mm -hmm. uh that tackle some you know some really heavy subjects and sometimes Sometimes they can tackle those subjects in a really cool way. Sure. But inevitably, every time they do that, they will ignore the way they tackled that. Yeah. Like later in the game. Yeah. Like, uh, like, to just do like standard ass anime shit, it, basically. Exactly. Like there's, there's a character named On Takamaki who is, uh, her arc kind of, involves uh, a lot of heavy subjects like mm-hmm. adult sexualizing teens and yeah. sexual abuse and a lot of other heavy stuff mm-hmm. and in her arc uh they they treat it with gravitas it's yes. it's very it's um, it's made abundantly clear that it's a bad thing yeah and it's it's really heavy but really emotional and really meaningful her arc is is really good and then the second her arc ends she is she's just the butt of 10 billion sex jokes for the yeah. rest of the game mm-hmm. uh and, and that's how that game is that's that's just that that game does that with with half of the cast <laughs> it does shit like that so much and mm-hmm. uh it's filled with like rampant casual homophobia mm-hmm. and it, it's just it's it's hard i like there's so much i love about that game but it's hard but whenever i think about how much i love that game i remember another part of it that made me really mad sure so so it's 10th place because it's it's a great video game and it you know it is okay to love something that there's a lot of things wrong with you Mm -hmm. know it's 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 okay to to like something with a lot of problems as long as you acknowledge that the problems are there and you don't try to defend the problems. Right. <laughs> so, you know, Persona 5 is literally my problematic fave. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, uh you know, also heartbreaking because Persona 4 also had its share of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gave me hopes for Persona 5 because Persona 4 was like, oh, it tried to tackle these things and it missed the mark on some of them. But they'll be so much better at storytelling in the next one. But really, in reality, to me, Persona 5 almost feels regressive in some ways. I agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So sorry to, sh- to shit on a game that's on my top <laughs> 10 games of the decade list right. so much. Uh, it just It's it's just one of those double-edged swords kind of games. Sure. Like, it's... It's... <laughs> it's... It's really pretty and shiny, and I I'm fascinated by it. But whenever I touch it, I bleed. It's like a really sharp ruby. <laughs> no, it's a double-edged sword. 
Nah, it's a really sharp ruby now. <laughs> uh, yeah, Persona Five number ten. Yeah, it, it it is it is a good game, but there's caveats with that. I agree. What's your number ten, Sean? My number ten is the number ten that it was before. It's <laughs> uh, kind weirdly poetic, which is which is Red Dead Redemption. Yes, this game to me i think the reason that i wanted to include it is that it felt like a big leap forward uh for rockstar for me like okay you know i have been playing rockstar games since uh grand theft auto vice city i played san andreas i played the ones on the psp i didn't really play a lot of grand theft auto 4 but i like watched my brother play it and he liked it but Red Dead Redemption in particular, it was to me almost like Rockstar growing up a little bit. Hmm. Like, I think prior to this game, you just kind of had a lot of games that had this sort of, like, South Park sensibility to them almost. Sure. Very, like, kind of bleeding edge satire and crude humor. And there's there's stuff like that in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. But I think that just because of the setting and the context in which the game takes place, they have to handle it with a little more tact and subtlety. Yeah. And I also really appreciate that this is a game about kind of this inherently tragic figure john marston yeah who starts the story off in a really bad place and then just spends the entire rest of the game trying to claw his way not to fame and success as a grand theft auto character would but just to like normalcy you know like he just wants to live a completely normal life and keeps getting thrown into uh really awful situations against his will and prior to this game we really hadn't had a rock star storyline like that right i think particularly for them like for the people who write stories at rockstar this is a game that was written with an astonishing amount of tact and care and Mm. introspectiveness uh that you really don't see in any of their other games uh, and it really left a mark on me by the time I was done. And it's definitely like a gameplay experience that I won't soon forget. I should say that I have not played Red Dead Redemption 2, which I've also heard was quite good. Right. Uh, in a lot of similar ways. Um, but yeah, I would I would be remiss not to include this game in my top 10 because I just it it is a it's a remarkable experience and an important part of gaming history. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. Cool. My number nine is Animal Crossing New Leaf. Good fucking pick. Yeah, that was that was my number 10 before. <laughs> then decided that I liked it a little more than I like Persona 5 That's these fair. days. It's it's hard to like talk about the ways in which Animal Crossing is good in some <laughs> right, ways. Yeah. But it's it's just good, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just a, a super fucking cute game and it's just really easy to just get into kind of this really nice chill experience yeah. you know? it's, it's like the gaming equivalent of sitting down in a log cabin with your trusty dog under a blanket and reading a book with a mug of tea yeah you know? it's it's kind of like the gaming equivalent of sinking into a warm bath yes exactly you know yeah and a warm bath and it's like the nice kind of bath where the tub's clean mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about bathing in your own <laughs> filth it's just like yeah 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 exactly it's just like you're you're just sitting in the tub with like a crossword <laughs> mm-hmm. and 
and like munching on a snack. Yes, exactly. It's, yeah. It's it's just a good feeling. It, yeah, it's it's a game that is a good feeling and it's kind of funny to put on this list because we are days away from the release of <laughs> Animal Crossing New Horizons. Mm-hmm. And if that game is done right, it could completely obsolete New Leaf. Sure. But I, I do think that it's fair to say that New Leaf, to me, was a big leap forward for the Animal Crossing franchise. Yeah. Uh, it just introduced a lot of things that made me appreciate Animal Crossing's good qualities a lot more. And, you know, even if New Horizons kind of does the same or a similar thing, it can't erase that. You know what I mean? I Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. But I, I do, it's it's interesting, like, games that get obsoleted like that, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I, like, for, I, I can't think of a specific example, um, but, like, you know, I'll, I'll have really fond memories of a game, and those memories will stay intact, but, and yeah, it's it's hard to come up with an example because every example I'm thinking of is like, well, Kingdom Hearts two in a lot of ways is better than <laughs> Kingdom Hearts three still, actually. Right. <laughs> uh like I I think there's ways that Kingdom Hearts three is better than two. Sure. Uh partic- But it doesn't obsolete it. Exactly. It yeah. doesn't obsolete two. Yeah, it's it's hard to think it it's it's <laughs> it's hard yeah, it's hard to think of actually a a game that gets obsoleted as effectively as Animal Crossing games tend to obsolete themselves. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I should just go back to Wild World, right? Mm-hmm. Animal Crossing Wild World was my first Animal Crossing game. Right. Uh, incredible memories of that. And, ah, God damn it, I actually do have some things about Wild World that I wish New Leaf did. You All right, know? I've, I've, okay. I've got a fail-proof example. Okay any sports game that is released annually yeah there you go yeah exactly like Like if you have you know nba 2k19 there's no reason to go back and play nba 2k18 yeah even if you you cracked open a cold one with the boys one (laughs) night playing 2k18 right and that's the that's the night your boy told you that his wife was pregnant and you (laughs) cried together like yeah that That doesn't matter after 2K19 comes out. Babies Fuck you, boy. don't matter anymore. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah. It's it's funny, though. Wild, Wild World had an aspect of Animal Crossing that I absolutely love mm-hmm. that has had less focus in every subsequent Animal Crossing game, mm-hmm. which is basically the the villagers having personal stories right i feel like i've told this story before but in animal crossing wild world yeah uh there's there's the mabel sisters right they're right. uh the twin sisters that are seamstresses mm-hmm. and uh and there's mabel and sable uh maybe yeah the the able sisters mabel and sable they're porcupines yep and mabel is instantly very friendly to you when you come in but sable is very introverted and Mm. very shy and very socially anxious so she will not talk to you uh when the game starts and you uh you approach her for the first time right but uh in real time every subsequent day you come in and you (laughs) and you talk to mabel she'll eventually like you know she'll be like oh hello Mm -hmm. nice to see you again 
And then eventually she's like, oh, hi, Dan- right. Daniel. I've, I'm so glad you came in. Would you like to, you know? And then eventually she starts, like, opening up to you. Mm-hmm. And you find out that, like, you know, she tells you about she vents to you about how hard it is for to open up to people, but right. she but she feels comfortable with you somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'll tell you how she used to be really close with Tom Nook, but like <laughs> they they kind of drifted apart over the years, mm-hmm. and that's weird. And she doesn't know how to deal with that. Like, <laughs> like you you get yeah. Like the more you engage with these villagers in Wild World, the more like really personal stories you get about them. Yeah, and then in New Leaf. Uh, Sable goes from being shy around you to friendly to you, but you never get her backstory anymore. Like, yeah. and uh, and that that's kind of across the board. Like, I feel like like Blathers, the museum owl, mm-hmm. told you a lot of personal stories in Wild World, and then oh, oh yeah, in Wild World he'd be like, oh, you picked up a cricket. You know, that reminds me of a time <laughs> when I right. ate a cricket <laughs> and I barfed. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't, and he doesn't tell you that he, that he barked when he ate a cricket in New Leaf. Right. It's, I I don't know why I'm doing the thing where I was like, this is one of my favorite games of all time. This is all the things I don't like about it. We're we're low on the list. Yeah, we're low on the list. I, I do really love New Leaf though, because it still manages to have a lot of personality and it adds it adds new characters that mm-hmm. that are really easy to get attached to. This was the first game that Isabel was in, who is now the mascot of Animal Crossing. <laughs> who is now the mascot of Animal Crossing? <laughs> the official Animal Crossing Twitter account is just her account. Yeah, some sometimes Tom fucking Nook takes a backseat to Isabel yes. these days. Yeah, it's, which is nuts. It is nuts, and New Leaf kind of emphasizes. Things about Animal Crossing that are really great that Wild World was just kind of starting to figure out, mm-hmm. like the community aspect. Yeah. Right? And it really it really improved the customization and like it really improved the ways you could kind of engage with your village mm-hmm. and like make it feel like your own. They moved you to a different tub, one that doesn't have a cell phone next to it. Boy, with you're really reaching back. For the, this metaphor. The, the one that doesn't have a cell phone next to it, where you can call all your friends. Well, actually, no. It adds the cell phone, but it doesn't have a diary next to it, where you can read through some right. really meaningful moments. It loses a diary, but it adds a phone. Uh, the shape of the tub is a little different, but it threw some bath salts in there, and those feel nice and fuzzy. You know, you feel real nice and clean in there. And uh, yeah, New Leaf is is a good bath. My number eight. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, yeah, I I agree. Um, I have a lot of fond memories of playing New Leaf, and yeah, I, you know, knowing how much I enjoyed that game just makes me look forward to the next one coming out even more. Yeah, and I can absolutely see New Leaf still maintaining kind of that special spot, actually, yes. even after New Horizons, because like. Uh, I really liked the kind of the town, like the the aspect of building your village and mm-hmm. the aspect of like going to town and interacting with that stuff. And and New Horizons is kind of meant to feel more isolated and start on this island right. before you get all this, <laughs> all these interactions. Yeah. So I might like that less than I like how New Leaf started. Okay. Yeah. So who, who knows? Yeah. New Leaf number nine. Good. Yeah. Good bath. 
My number nine is Bloodborne. Right. Bloodborne is the only game in the Soulsborne genre that I have played that extensively. <laughs> like, I tried to get into Demon Souls and I couldn't really. I tried to get into Dark Souls and I couldn't really. I tried to get into Neo, and that game is so much harder than any other Souls Wars game <laughs> that I've ever played that, like, the difficulty just prohibits me from appreciating it as much as I wish I could. Damn. Bloodborne, just something about the combination of the setting, which is this, like, really interesting kind of gothic bubonic plague thing that it has going on. I, I think it's the most interesting setting of any of the yeah. any of the Namco-developed Souls games, for sure. Um, but you've got... From software. Yes. Uh, you got that going for it. You have the gameplay itself, which is... So in a lot of other Soulsborne games, you have the option to like get shields and block and play more defensively. Yeah. Bloodborne is kind of all about dodging and countering and playing very offensively. Uh, and so the pace of play feels really different. Yeah. And I also just think that the difficulty is perfectly tuned in the sense that it is an extremely challenging game relative to a lot of other games. Yeah. But it never feels impossible and it never feels truly unfair. Hmm. Like whenever you, you know, meet your demise at the hands of some uh, hideous creature or, you know, angry human, uh, it just, I at least never thought to myself, oh man, that's so cheap. Or like, oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. My thought was always... Okay, what can I do differently? You right. know, I messed up here, here, and here. Uh, maybe this time I'll go in with this weapon. Maybe I need to go to a shop and get more potions. Hmm. Uh, you know, what do I need to do in order to succeed? Um, and in that sense, it almost feels like a really satisfying hike up a mountain or something. Hmm. Like, you can see the summit. You know that it's going to be hard, but you know that it's going to be fulfilling. And I did not beat Bloodborne. But I got pretty far into it. I would say that I got like halfway or two-thirds of the way into it. And I never stopped enjoying myself. Uh, just the feeling of kind of getting better at the game, but not in like the Metroid sense where it's just like, oh, well, I have the space suit and mi super missiles and whatever. Now I'm a complete badass. Right. But just more like, oh, these enemies that were able to kill me so easily feel so slow now because I've gotten so good at this, you know, I can dodge around them and kill them so easily because of all the practice that I've had playing this game. That is a cool feeling. Yeah. It's uh, I, you know, few games have made me feel that feeling as intensely as Bloodborne did. So it is my number nine. Yeah. That's, that's a really good pick. I I've, I've wanted to get into a souls game, mm -hmm. And whenever I kind of look at the aesthetic <laughs> of the Souls games and, like, see how kind of story light they are, yeah. it's it's hard for me to, like, make that leap. But I did watch you play a lot of Bloodborne, mm -hmm. and that's also, like, the most appealing Souls experience I've seen. Nice. Uh, because the aesthetic is really cool. Yeah. It's, it's got a great, like, vibe and a really, <laughs> like, a really unique kind of tone to it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, yeah, like, uh, when you hit your groove in that game especially fighting like those fucking like bosses like, yeah. yeah uh yeah that like it was it was satisfying to watch sometimes nice. and i'm sure it was just as satisfying to play so oh, for sure yeah my number eight game uh and sean's mystery honorable yes. mention 
is Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. Great pick. Yeah. So, initially, uh, Persona 4 Arena Ultimax wasn't on this list, because uh, mm-hmm. I hadn't, it hadn't occurred to me. Uh, <laughs> but I was looking at the list, and and I was like, oh, th- my list doesn't really have any fighting games on it. Right. But fighting games were really important to me in the 2010s. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, Persona 4 Arena Ultimax is actually like, it's legit. You know, yes. it's it's such a it's such a good fighting game. It's it's a it's a fighting game spinoff of Persona Four, right? Developed by Arc System Works, mm-hmm. who've done like Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue, yeah, and more recently Dragon Ball Fighters. Like and... a, a lot of the most successful anime fighters that you have seen or played were yeah. developed by them. Yeah, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus mm-hmm. very recently, and. And Persona 4 Arena 1 was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Sean and I kind of played the hell out of that. I oh, yeah. I got pretty good with Chie, and uh, it, it has one of Sean's favorite fighting game characters of yes. all time. Anytime you've heard me reference Labrys on this or any other podcast, she's came from these games. Yeah. And, and she's great. Yeah, she she is great. And, yeah, the... Uh, Ultimax just takes everything about Arena 1 and makes it better from a gameplay perspective. And yes. it also adds one of my favorite fighting game characters <laughs> of all time, Junpei Iori, yeah. whose gameplay mechanic is he he plays baseball while he beats the crap out of you. He is like he, he, among the most complicated fighting game characters that you have ever like competently played yeah he's got so much wacky shit going on and it's all so cool it is the cliff's notes for those who haven't heard me talk about junpei about half a dozen times already right is you know it's funny i have talked about him a lot but i feel like a lot of it isn't cut content that oh, really yeah. yeah but basically junpei has a baseball diamond in the in the bottom corner of his ui right like by his meter yeah and and whenever he has he has a few attacks, he has several attacks that involve him hitting you with a baseball bat. Yeah. Whenever he uses one of those attacks and connects with it, one of the one of the diamonds will light up. Like he loads a base, basically. Yeah, he, yeah, he loads a base. So like he hits you with his bat once, he loads first base. He hits you with it a second time, he loads second base. He hits you with it a third time, he loads third base. Mm-hmm. And then when he hits you with the bat again, like you get like you basically, get a run. Yeah, you get a run and you add a point to his his baseball UI. Uh and you can also like isn't there a move that lets you just cash out all of your bases? There, the there's a time? there's a move that gives you a home run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He one of his supers gives you a home <laughs> run. And uh but also if uh if you miss with that baseball bat attack, you get yeah. a strike. <laughs> Uh, and if you miss three times, you get an out, and you lose your, uh, you you lose like the the bases you've right. loaded. Uh, you can also basically have that happen to you if if uh, the opponent blocks your baseball attacks enough, or if you get hit, mm-hmm. if you get hit while you're trying to load bases. Once that number, once once the amount of runs you've gotten is ten or higher. Uh, Junpei will scream and power up, and from that point forward, his special gauge and his HP gauge are slowly filling up, and also the the power of his baseball attacks gets stronger. Yes. Um, And you can, I think, continue scoring runs to further power yourself up, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Basically, like, yeah, if if you get, if if your baseball score is, like, 20, then, like, 
your HP and SP like charge faster. And basically if, uh, I think it like caps at like 50 something okay. and you're, you're basically just like healing, uh, <laughs> you're, you're just healing constantly and getting super meter like a monster and your baseball, uh, your baseball bat is hitting so hard. He's this really incredible momentum based character. Basically. Daniel became so formidable with this character <laughs> among our friend group that he made like custom combos that were specifically designed to load bases as fast as he could (laughs) so he would get you know into his powered up state every time i fought him and it was incredibly demoralizing (laughs) every time because like you hit your 10th you know run yeah uh and then the game like freezes yeah and yosuke and you're not yosuke uh jump and jump goes like oh yeah or something (laughs) like that yeah yeah and starts like glowing rainbow yeah it's incredibly obnoxious in a very cool way i i took my jump to a persona 4 arena ultimax tournament yeah i I took him to combo breaker (laughs) or wasn't it uh frosty was it frosty it might it might frosty was where i played labrys and lost oh right i yeah it might have been frosty i yeah it was frosty okay i took him to frosty and i went oh two but my second loss was so close <laughs> that like that when, that when I stood up after losing that set, like a crowd of like ten people like clapped <laughs> yeah. because Jumpei is bottom tier. Yes, Jump- I mean you can imagine with mechanics that complicated. Yeah, you know. Jumpei is bottom tier in that game. No one was playing Jumpei. And I got so close to winning <laughs> with Jumpei that people clapped just for the effort. Yeah. They're like, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> and like yeah because i was like i was loading bases i i i had this this really obnoxious combo set up where his persona basically does a dive kick like right. twice and while the persona is like dive kicking the opponent i will either run up and like hit them with a baseball bat if they got hit by the dive kick or mm-hmm. if they were blocking the dive kick i will run up and throw them right so like I'm mixing him up in all these weird ways and I do lose. But then like once I've lost, I look over and my opponent's like exhausted <laughs> that he had to deal with all that. Yeah. It's yeah. Like <laughs> Persona 4 Arena Ultimax is such a fun fighting game that constantly losing in that game <laughs> is a really fun experience for me. Yes. I, I just, I'm really satisfied by Persona 4 Ultimax, even though I've gone O2 <laughs> in every tournament I've entered Jumpei in. In that same tournament, I was playing Labrys, as yeah. I do. Uh, she is a kind of, like, robot with an enormous axe. Yeah. Who can kind of use that big axe to do these, like, pseudo mid-range combos. Uh, and is just very satisfying to play. I your cup same... of tea. Yes. I entered the same tournament. I also went 0-2. But <laughs> she has this special that Daniel really hates. Oh, I do. Where she kind of steps back and starts charging up her power and then i as the person playing her have some control over when she then charges forward and does this really powerful attack yeah and prior to her doing that she has like super armor like you can hit her shoot her you know and and nothing happens yeah it's not even super armor she's just just invincible she's just invincible yeah and I have won so many rounds against Daniel by getting really desperate, getting backed into a corner, activating that attack, 
and then just like charging through one of his attacks and killing him because it does like 60% of your health. It's like yeah. insane. It's also unblockable. Yes. Uh, and so, so really the, the goal is to kind of anticipate that it's going to happen and like jump over it or yeah. back away or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I was playing against a guy who was clearly way out of my league as really any anime player is. Yeah. Like they get into their games to a level that I never will. Oh yeah. Uh, and he was beating the shit out of me. <laughs> And uh, as a last ditch effort, I activated that ability and then just used it immediately and charged through him and finally took a round. <laughs> and similarly to your story, there was a group of people around me who just been like, oh, yeah, like yeah. you couldn't believe that I'd pulled that off <laughs> uh, because I was so bad. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Persona 4 is a good time. I think, you know, my favorite thing about it and certainly the thing that makes it the most distinct is the personas. Yeah. Um, Every character except one in Ultimax yeah. um, has this supernatural entity called a persona that's kind of like a stand in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah, which which are the titular persona in Persona. Yes. Uh, and you uh, essentially, instead of having like light punch, heavy punch, you know, light kick, heavy kick, yeah. you have punch, kick, you, persona, you, you, persona. Yeah, you, yeah, exactly. You have like light, light <laughs> attack, heavy attack. Light or, persona, yeah, yeah, yeah. heavy persona, basically, yeah. Uh, and some characters are more reliant on their personas than others. Like, Labrys, yeah. I don't play... I don't use her persona very much when I play her. Yeah. My kind of pocket character, Elizabeth, <laughs> is extremely reliant on her persona. Yeah. And I got good enough with her that I could do combos just by calling her persona out and doing various things. Yeah. And it's well, really fun. It She's... She is really... Like, she... She her persona has command grabs, yes. so she's yeah. she's just like grabbing you from halfway across <laughs> like, the screen. I was I was literally doing persona mix-ups. Like, am I going to attack? Am I going to grab? If you jump, all anti-air. Like yeah. her persona's nuts. Yeah. Um, but oh man, like you know, even if you're not going to like bust out your PS3 and play that game, I just highly recommend like looking up a top eight or something because it's it's not like any other fighting game you've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's really incredible and super fun. Like uh, when I played Persona 4 Arena 1 and and uh, I uh, Jump didn't exist, so I played Chie Sadanaka, like, yes. a, like a spunky like tomboy who does kung fu <laughs> and like she also did like i um i pretty much never used chie's persona you know <laughs> right. i was just like i was just kicking the crap out of people and that was really fun she and, had an and, auto combo with an overhead low mix-up that got me constantly y- yes yeah <laughs> god that was so satisfying and uh and jumpei like jumpei i i graduated into like using his persona like 20 percent of the time yeah his persona is really more of like a setup thing that you use while you're doing other things exactly yeah um whereas with elizabeth i mean it was literally like if you were more than five feet away from me it's persona time yeah Yeah. Yeah, exactly uh yeah that game has so many cool characters yeah like so many excellent movesets ah that game that's just among the best design fighting games i've ever played yeah easily I I wish Persona Five Arena would come out and obsolete that game. Yeah, that'd you know? be great. Yeah, and also we I mean we should stop talking about this game soon because we've been going on about it for like ten minutes. But sure. I will add that we haven't even talked about the story mode, which is great. 
it's like a full visual novel within a fighting game. Yes, although funnily enough, I never beat the story mode of Ultimax. <laughs> I, th- I never did either. I've always wanted to go back and do it though. Yeah, I thought Persona 4 Arena 1 story mode was actually like really good mm-hmm. and when you get to a certain part of the story mode, very yes. very heart-wrenching. Yes. And just actually incredible, like one of the best story modes I've experienced in a fighting game. I uh, played through that story mode at a, during a period of time when my long distance girlfriend at the time came to visit me and she was so frustrated that like, I was just constantly playing the story mode. Uh, and then one day we were just like kind of sitting on the couch together and we got to the heart wrenching part. Uh, and it, she went from like, Oh man, I'm so sick of persona to just us both like sobbing with each other as we, (laughs) as we played through the game. Uh, yeah, it's, it's good. It's real good. you Ignore your girlfriend. (laughs) Uh, and then she'll cry. (laughs) Yeah. Per persona, persona Four arena ultimax. Good, good shit. Very good shit. Yes. Uh, what's your number eight? My number eight is Fire Emblem Awakening. Yeah. This is another game that is similar. Uh, the reason I'm putting it on is similar to the reason I have Red Dead Redemption on here, which is that it just it feels like this kind of big leap forward for, in this case, the franchise more than the developer. Yeah. Like prior to Fire Emblem Awakening coming out, Fire Emblem was not doing well. Yeah. A lot of people thought that Awakening was going to be the last Fire Emblem game ever. Yes. Uh, But it was just able to innovate so much and in ways that highlighted the things that I've always loved about Fire Emblem Mm -hmm. uh, that it was instead this kind of runaway success that completely revitalized the franchise. Yeah. And and now it's like almost one of Nintendo's main franchises. Yeah, exactly. It's a huge, especially with, uh, with uh, three houses. Well, no, with uh, the, the mobile one. uh, Oh, heroes. Heroes. Yeah. You know, I mean, that franchise is an enormous money spinner for them now. Yeah. And it's all because of Fire Emblem Awakening. I mean, it's just, it's, just a really satisfying strategy game uh set in kind of you know a fairly standard fantasy universe sure and what makes fire emblem generally special for me and fire emblem awakening in particular is that each character is very kind of unique and has their own personality in this kind of realized story that they go through yeah and when your characters fight near each other they develop bonds yeah. uh, that kind of start out ranked C and then pr- can progress in some situations all the way up to an S rank. Right. And as the characters rank up their bonds with one another, they get these little stories that play out between them where you get to learn more about each character and their motivations and you get to see how they interact with one another. Yeah. And that's something that's always been true about Fire Emblem while I've played it. Um, what is new to Awakening is that the characters can actually get married and have children who you can then recruit into your party. Yeah, it's happened in Fire Emblem before, but this is the first Fire Emblem in America that got to do that. Yeah, Yeah, I should say. And uh, that is just, it's such a satisfying game mechanic that really only works because of the way that game's story worked. (laughs) Like, they tried it again in Fates, and it was just weird. Like, yeah. It was great to see the characters' kids again, but the way that it was implemented was very strange. Yes. Uh, but that, so, like, that's really satisfying. The game is just really fun. Um, Fire Emblem, generally, I always 
compare it in my own mind to like XCOM in that it's this very kind of high risk, high reward strategy franchise where you have to kind of weigh like, okay, you know, my character has an X percent chance to hit when the enemy counters, they have an X percent chance to hit me. They yeah. also might crit and do three times the damage they normally would, but I might do that too. Right. It's very kind of, it's like a risk management game. You, you're kind yeah. of gambling every time you make an attack. Yeah. And so it feels very high stakes, especially since there's a mode in this game, and this had been standard in past Fire Emblems, where if your character dies, they're gone forever. Yeah. The character you're using at that time. Uh, and so like everything just combines like you have these great fully realized characters who have relationships with other characters and children and if they die they're dead yeah you know you develop such this, this intense attachment to your army as you progress through the game yeah and it is just one of the best fire emblem experiences that there has ever been um you know i i i like we were talking earlier about games eclipsing other games I don't think that there's been a Fire Emblem game that has completely eclipsed Awakening. Huh. Because, like, Fates was a very different experience in many ways, and Three Houses is an extremely different experience <laughs> in almost every way. Um, so if you are if you got your 3DS, you want to break it out, play some games, maybe you're self-quarantined, and you're looking for a cool <laughs> strategy game to play, uh, oh, man, I can't recommend Fire Emblem Awakening enough. It's very cool, and it is my number eight. Nice. Good pick. Yeah. This this is it is kinda nice to do this episode now. It's like, hey, are do is school been canceled? <laughs> right. I, I, did yeah. did your job say that you you gotta stay home for two weeks? <laughs> Here's twenty plus games you can play while you're bored. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Listen to us, viewers, <laughs> listeners. My number seven is another three DS game actually. Nice. Uh that is nothing like Fire Emblem. <laughs> And it's... even though it's made by the same people, I think, isn't it? No, it's Are, not. They're not both intelligent systems. No, uh, this game is by Game Freak. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that game is Pocket Card Jockey. Yes. I, I love Pocket Card Jockey. You do. Po Pocket Card Jockey is probably the simplest game on this list. It's, and it, maybe the weirdest. Maybe. I did mention 428 already. That's true. Or at uh, least on your top 10. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, it's 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 a weird game. Yes. Po Pocket Car Jockey is a uh it's a horse racing simulator uh where the horse racing is done by playing solitaire. <laughs> yeah, that's that's yep. uh <laughs> that's the game. Yeah, that's that's the game and it's fucking great. Like you get a horse and you you race it and the better you are at solitaire the the better your horse does and um and the better you do in races the the more like story stuff you unlock like it's it's got a very like goofy cartoony aesthetic and a yes. very silly story that's actually just really fun to invest yourself in mm -hmm. uh like you know you uh as as you race your horses like different different sponsors different like owners will like endorse you mm -hmm. and they all have different personalities like the first one is just like this very like slimy like corporate like <laughs> like you know like boomer named mr blingman <laughs> <laughs> which is a great translation right Good job, oh yeah oh the localization is superb yeah 
And yeah, it's the combination of the game being very funny, the aesthetic being very cute, the fact that you can breed your horses to like, you know, to kind of create better horses mm-hmm. and and then like it's it's almost kind of like a roguelike progression <laughs> where like you're not going to be good at the game when you start, but uh, but the more you put into it, right. the better your horses get and and the farther you will get in the races and the more time and the like because like you do solitaire but also there's kind of like like power ups you get like right. while you're doing solitaire and uh and you can kind of like use like bonuses and stuff to to either like give yourself more time to play solitaire or make your horse faster or like it's this is such a weird game to talk about <laughs> and i spent so many hours on mm-hmm. it i spent so much time on pocket card jockey because it's 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 very it's very simple. It's in in the end, like it's it's basically you're just playing solitaire sure. with kind of this this horse racing backdrop. backdrop. Yeah. But like it's so addictive <laughs> and it's it's so easy to just be like, oh, I have ten minutes, I'm gonna play some pocket card jockey. Sure. And then those and then like over the course of a week you've done you've played the game for ten minutes like ten times <laughs> and you've just dunked hours uh-huh. into this goofy horse racing game. It's definitely. I was interested in it because it's a fucking weird game. Yeah. Uh, but it it still managed to blow away my expectations and the the amount of expectations I put onto <laughs> it relative to the amount of time I spent on it being, uh-huh. and the amount of fun I had with it might be kind of the biggest like the biggest <laughs> gap sure. on this list. And uh, yeah, and it's like it's like eight dollars or something. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, absolute like just it's an essential 3DS experience and you don't realize it. <laughs> it's it's just a yeah, it's it's a great fucking little game. There's there's so many big games that we play, but mm-hmm. Pocket Card Jockey is one of the best little games that I've experienced in the last 10 years. Nice. Yeah. I didn't play it myself, but you know everything I've seen of it and everything you've told me about it does make it seem like it's this very like charming, quirky game. Charming, quirky as um, hell, yeah. That I could absolutely see myself really liking if I ever put the time in. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think there are aspects of that that are very much your thing. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So solitaire is just kind, kind of fun, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's, and I like card games. You yeah, know, like fifty-two card deck card games yeah uh, i have a lot of fond memories like playing them with my grandmother when she was alive and stuff like that so yeah my my grandmother also played uh, <laughs> a lot of solitaire when she was alive mm-hmm. um and like you know that was kind of when she was happiest she was that that <laughs> right. that grandmother wasn't always a happy woman sure but yeah yeah same actually <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah one, one of my clearest memories of that time of my life is my grandmother teaching me to play solitaire and me like making an unwise move and then saying like, Oh, well, you know, couldn't we just like swap these cards or whatever? And she leaned over this, this kind of like sweet old woman and said, Sean, if you cheat at solitaire, you aren't a man. (laughs) Made me commit to what I had done. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's great. That's yeah. That's 
that that's the that's the best thing I've ever heard about your grandma. It's probably the best thing she's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> she she made she she gave you solitary integrity. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. What's your What's your number seven game? My number seven game is Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together, specifically the PSP version of that game, which right. came out very early in the decade. Yes. I have talked a lot about another strategy game that I really like called Into the Breach on various other podcasts. Yeah. And the reason that I like that game so much is that it innovated in a way that I didn't think was possible for the genre that it participates in. Right. And... The reason that I like Tactics Ogre Let Us Cling Together so much is that it also did that 10 years earlier, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like, you know, I uh, grew up really enjoying, um, you know, games like Fire Emblem, games like Final Fantasy Tactics, yeah. games like Advance Wars. And even though I really enjoyed those games, they never surprised me. Sure. Then Tactics Ogre comes along. And first of all, it just has a lot of stuff that I like anyway. Yeah. Like, it has this kind of, um, you know, mid-to-high fantasy world and a really intensely kind of tragic and political storyline that takes place over many, many hours. Mm -hmm. It has lots of character classes that you can unlock. It has these vast battle maps where you really have to consider elevation and unit placement and strategy. But on top of that, it has a system called the Chariot Tarot, which, first of all, allows you to rewind combat by up to 50 turns. Yeah. Uh, so you can, uh, you know, kind of try new strategies if uh, something really isn't working out for you. Um, if you're an asshole, you can, like, kind of scum spell. Like, if you miss, you can try again. Sure. Uh, and see if you hit that time. Uh, but just generally, like... It allows you to avoid those moments like, oh, man, I moved here, but I didn't really want to move here. I was just trying something out or like, oh, I shouldn't use that spell. You know, what if I tried this? Right. There's no longer that sense of regret because you can always try again. But also the game is well designed and challenging enough that even with that system in place, I still sometimes had to completely start battles over. Right. Um, so there's that. But then also, this is a game that has branching paths. Like, you're able right. to make decisions throughout the story that cause it to change and diverge. And once you beat the game for the first time, the Chariot Tarot also allows you to kind of travel back to various flashpoints in the narrative and just pick up from there with your current stats, with your current abilities and equipment, uh. um, and kind of see what would have happened if you had done this thing or hadn't done this thing. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. And so it, I almost don't even want to say that it has replayability because it just has playability. <laughs> like Daniel knows very well that I literally played this game every day for years. Oh, yeah. And didn't experience everything that it had to offer. Yeah. Because of how jam packed it is with shit to do. Yeah. If you are able to play PSP games in any capacity, if you have a PSP, if you have a PlayStation TV, <laughs> and if you like strategy games, I mean, this is just like one of the crowning achievements of the genre, and you've got to play it if you can. Yeah. Uh, so it is my number seven. Cool. My number six is Danganronpa 2. Nice. Uh, which was initially released for the PSP, and then like... And then re-released 
for the Vita and like, and the Vita version was how we got it in the States for the first time. Yes. And Danganronpa 2 is this visual novel uh, developed by Spike Chunsoft. Mm-hmm. I feel like most people that, you know, play Vita games are at least like kind of somewhat familiar with the Phoenix Wright franchise. Maybe they haven't played it, but they sure. kind of know it exists, right? Even if it's just like that wacky lawyer game. Like, yeah. You know, you know, it's there. Yeah, exactly. And like, and Danganronpa like has a lot of elements of Phoenix Wright, but it it's such a different game. Yes. Like it it takes place in like a high school setting and it has kind of elements of like battle royale and like clue mm-hmm. and like uh basically it's the Danganronpa franchise is kind of the the main conceit in each Danganronpa game is this this evil robot bear named Monokuma mm-hmm. has has trapped uh, over a dozen high school students in a setting and tells them if you want to escape this situation you have to kill one of your fellow students those students have to investigate the murder mm-hmm. and you have to make it through the trial without getting <laughs> caught and uh and in the first and second games you play as a student you who your classmates keep getting murdered and then you kind of have the responsibility right of of deducing who killed that student and it's kind of it's kind of a a pattern that both like kind of leads to a lot of like fun mystery solving moments and also some really interesting storytelling yes um like i thought the the concept was incredible when i played the first one and then when I played Dangarampa 2, uh, they just both, like, subverted so many things that were cool about <laughs> Dangarampa 1. Uh-huh. And uh, just, like, on its own merit, did some very cool, really excellent storytelling things. Yes. With the great aesthetic and uh, incredible incredible voice track, whether you're listening to it in Japanese or English. Yeah, the dub is great. Uh, the the dub is top notch. Yeah, D- dub of dub of one is decent. Dub of two is top notch. Yes, and uh, like it has dating sim elements uh, where you can kind of like socialize with each of the students that are still alive and get really attached to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, Dengarampa two just really blew me away with like its presentation, its incredible characters, yeah, and uh, and just some some awesome visual novel storytelling moments that I haven't experienced in any other game. Yeah. Uh, Dengarapa 2 does kind of have the persona problem sometimes where some really great moments are kind of undermined by mm-hmm. obnoxious fan service and just like, just, just some gross stuff. Like yeah. all the Dengarapa games do have gross stuff. Yes. Uh, do not play ultra despair girls. <laughs> Th- that game's awful. Yeah. Like, like I'm really attached to the franchise, uh, but it has some bad games in it. Dangarampa two though, I still I still really like. I'm still very fond of. I agree. Um, <laughs> and like it's it's also like I also have like a personal attachment to it because in a kind of a roundabout way, uh, Dangarampa two kind of inspired me to dip my toe into analog game design. Yes. Uh. Because, like, I loved the story that was in Dangarampa 2, and I went, how can I, like, how can I make that kind of story, like, in a <laughs> D&D way? You know, uh-huh. how can I, like, how can me and my friends, like, kind of role play out, like, 
a story in a setting like that. Yeah. It's it's hard. It the, like it feels like that'd be impossible to do because like it revolves around like focal characters getting murdered. If your character <laughs> dies, what do you do? And then I figured out what you would do if your character dies right. and I made like a prototype of a game that was like loosely inspired by the Danganronpa franchise. That us and our friends test played extensively and loved yeah. playing. There's like I I never like, you know, I never finished that that game. I never published it, but like but it's still very dear to my heart and like it's it's something I still might finish someday when I work out some kinks on it because I I genuinely think there's something to the system that I made uh and I I owe a lot of that to Danganronpa 2 existing. I uh, yeah, I know I agree. Yeah. Oh, which part? Uh that there's something there that's really great. Oh, thanks. I yeah. was fishing for a compliment there, but thank you. Well, <laughs> you reeled me in. <laughs> and I'm a big tuna. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah uh no dang dang 2 means a lot to me in both for like really personal reasons like you know in, in kind of a roundabout way like i my my relationship with amy lee mm-hmm. you know is is like is partially because of us bonding over this franchise like so, yeah. Dang- Dangarampa two and Dangarampa the franchise in general is special to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, but I also think Dangarampa two is a really good visual novel. Like, yes. Uh, yeah. Just the like mechanically, like there's there's kind of the visual novel portion where you're just kind of finding out about the about the place you're trapped in, mm-hmm. and then there's this investigation phase where a student has been killed, and you start like you look for clues as who did it. And then there's a trial portion where you're kind of interrogating all the other <laughs> students and, and like having arguments with them. And, and like the, the students will say like dialogue and then you have to like target keep key words that they're saying right. with your evidence uh, to kind of, uh, to kind of find contradictions. And yeah. Cool game. Very cool. Yeah. Really interesting and unique. Yeah. And if you want to play it, definitely play the first one first, or yes. you'll have no idea what's going on. Oh, yeah. It's definitely one of those games where you can't just play the second one first yeah. or play them out of order. Uh, yeah, that game, that franchise needs to be played in order. Yes. Um, and it's it's arguably worth it, depending on how far you get in the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, read Just read the Wikipedia article for, for Ultra Despair Girls if you play through the whole franchise. You will gag less. <laughs> Uh, what's your number six? My number six is Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn. Oh, yes. This game, I've been playing it since the Heavensward expansion came out, and I have not stopped playing it since. It's true. I played it this morning, <laughs> as a matter of fact. This is an MMO set in a universe that draws heavily, as you would expect, on the Final Fantasy kind of lore and stock characters and canon. Of course. And it definitely, even beyond the initial Final Fantasy fourteen, which failed so badly that they remade the game from the ground up, I would say that this game had a rocky start. Right. Like, I think that the kind of initial vanilla experience uh, definitely felt like it was behind some other MMOs at the time. Like it was done well. Yeah. It didn't feel quite as fresh as what a lot of other games were doing. I remember when they were doing a free weekend or something or mm-hmm. like a demo of the game. And like, I, 
I like created my character and then like I fell asleep. Yeah. No, like I I also try like during a stress test or something. Like I made a character, I ran around for a little bit and I decided like, you know, I'm really into Guild Wars 2 right now or whatever <laughs> I was playing. Like I I think I think I'll put this away. Like, right. I'm, I'm not going to get into this. Uh ironic when you consider how into it I now am. Oh. Uh but once you can kind of push through to a certain point in the main story, the game really picks up hmm. to the point where the latest expansion that came out, uh, Shadowbringers, just from top to bottom, was one of my favorite Final Fantasy experiences that I've had, period. Damn. Uh, it's really well written, very satisfying to play through. And now that I'm kind of at max level doing a lot of the post-game stuff, there's just a lot of stuff to keep you invested and to keep you entertained. Yeah. Um, I think that altogether, it is just an extremely satisfying, well-done MMO experience. I'm someone who has loved MMOs for a long time. I've been playing it since I was like 14 or 15. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that if you love Final Fantasy and you have a degree of patience, like they're fixing a lot of the stuff that was really a drag for me when I was first getting into it Yeah. Uh, in more recent content updates. Um, but if you are able to kind of initially get into it, uh, it is truly an excellent example of the genre. Like it's not, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's innovative, but it's just like an MMO done as well as it's possible to do an MMO. Yeah. Uh, it's and that's nice sometimes. Exactly. Like it almost makes me think of like, um, I feel this way about the Uncharted games to a certain extent. Yeah. Like they're, they don't really do anything new or cool. They're just like ex extremely tightly designed shooters. Um, hmm. And that's not enough to get me into Uncharted. But I think that MMOs are just naturally so kind of content rich and diverse that it is enough to get me into Final Fantasy XIV. Yeah. That, that is how I feel about the Dragon Quest franchise. Sure. You know? yes. yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Just like, just what you would expect, but done incredibly competently. Yeah, and I would say that that's how I feel generally about Final Fantasy XIV. Like, yeah. it just keeps you coming back. Yeah, because I feel like the Uncharted franchise does do new things. I just don't like any of the new stuff it does. <laughs> I don't know. Like, my my feeling whenever I boot up an Uncharted game is, like, I kind of play for a while, and then I'm like, that's it? Like that, you know? I, mean, I, I feel like, that, too. It's funny, got good story, don't Nathan Drake funny. Oh, <laughs> Uh, old fat man funny forgot his name sully sully funny funny man adventurous together but all you do is shoot gun no oh. interesting gameplay collect oh. treasure uh-oh nathan drake fall down the train <laughs> cloud the train <laughs> climb up fall down in the city in the country, on the mountain. That's all that Uncharted is. Yeah, we've... <laughs> Final Fantasy fourteen is so much more than that. <laughs> Good. And that's why it's on my top ten, specifically in the number six spot. Great MMO. Nice. Alright, we're in the top five. Yeah, what's your five? My five is Pyre. Yeah. By Good Super Giant Games. Five. Yeah. Uh, it's another visual novel. Um, but a very different one than Nangarampa. Yes. Uh, because this kind of mixes together like a bunch of genres and creates an experience that I've never had before. <laughs> uh, uh, mostly it's like a visual novel. Like you, uh, 
you are someone that kind of wakes up after being exiled from from kind of like this it's kind of like this weird like pseudo fantasy setting right uh kind of grounded but a lot of fantasy elements you know a lot of fantastical creatures to interact with and stuff mm-hmm. uh but like you've kind of been exiled from this kingdom and so many people in this setting have also been exiled and in order to be accepted back into the kingdom you have to you have to do a series you have to do a series of rites and once you do the final rite you might be chosen to ascend back to the kingdom and be accepted again. Okay. Rights are weird <laughs> soccer games. Yeah. Like uh the the rights are essentially like when you do the rights it is a it is a sports game with RPG elements. Right. Uh you pick your team of characters each with their own special abilities mm-hmm. uh and then uh and then you carry a, a magical ball to your opponent's goal using various powers. Right. Uh, it's it. Uh, it's like it's like an evolution of the Blitzball mini game. Yes. In in Final Fantasy X. Yeah. There's there's so many different characters with so many different like move sets and abilities. Uh, all kind of that all kind of let you take the ball to the hole in different ways, <laughs> and uh and both the visual novel portion of the game and the the blitzball portion of the game are just really fun and compelling yeah and they they intertwine so well together and you would not expect <laughs> that like uh like the visual novel portion like tells these stories and gets you invested in these characters and then and then they create such stakes mm-hmm. uh that like that you when you lose a volleyball match, when you lose a, a like a, a fantasy soccer match, yeah. the the game doesn't end. You don't get a game over. The story proceeds. Right. Uh, you winning and losing matches are are narrative decisions that you make in this <laughs> game uh, that change the story. And and another thing, un, and the formation of your team is also sometimes a choice that changes the story like That's the story so cool. the story will proceed differently depending on on who you put in your team That's really cool. Right? And and they're yeah, like it <laughs> it's so cool. Uh, it there's nothing like this game exists and it's so awesome. Max Lando recommended it to me for mm-hmm. for an episode of Play This and I just really fell in love with it. It uh, like Max and I both played through when we both got completely different endings huh. based on, uh, you know, based on how we played and, and who we, uh, and who we chose uh, in, in these very, like some, some of the decisions you make in this game. And they basically just, they're all kind of intertwined in the game's mechanics. They're yeah. not just kind of like, they're almost never just like dialogue options. They're like, they're like ways you decide to play the game are what determines the story. And, and man, it, it made, it made those changes and made those choices feel so meaningful. And so, so cool. You got so invested in the results of your choices and the results of how you played. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, and the, the characters, all have their own arcs and they're all so fascinating and sometimes 
they can just end prematurely based on what <laughs> decisions you make. Uh, man. Yeah. I, I really love, love Pyre. It's, it's such, it's such a good, such a unique experience and it blows my, it doesn't blow my mind. I'm not surprised by mm-hmm. it, but it always saddens me that Bastion and Transistor, two other games that this this mm-hmm. developer made, are so much more successful than Pyre. Sure, I think Bastion and Transistor deserve to be successful games. Yes, but I think Pyre also does, and the yeah. fact that it's kind of their least successful project, even compared to their current game, uh, uh, Hades. Right. Uh, like it's I. It, it makes me so sad. I'd I'd absolutely recommend picking it up. Uh, it's it's on sale like all the time because it doesn't make them a lot of money and I know just yeah just just pick that yeah you should absolutely pick that game up whenever if you're into if you're into either visual novels at all or you're into like like sports RPGs nice because Pyre is both and it yeah. does both so well yeah I uh my first taste of this game was watching you try out the multiplayer component uh for another podcast of ours road to mystery yeah that was the first time i'd really seen it in action so i have not experienced the visual novel component but the blitzball component is awesome it's so cool yeah like you are facing off against you know your opponent and you have all these characters that have these very unique abilities yeah like some of them are really fast and then kind of sneak by you know slower more lumbering opponents yeah uh there's one that can fly yeah there's one that can kind of like spread these roots around and block people yeah like the amount of kind of character variety is very very cool and it makes this incredibly simple concept so rich and And, complex and man like the multiplayer version Mm -hmm. that i was playing like all those characters kind of have preset abilities right right? in in the game proper they all have skill trees that's cool they all like you get to decide like as you progress through the game right like as they reach these milestones you get to decide what abilities they learn and what new cool things they get to do and what powers they gain that's really neat yeah pyre's so good yeah yeah Yeah, definitely one of the five best games i've played this whole decade nice yeah incredible experience really touched me really moved me i'm into it yeah highly recommended i really hope it comes out for switch one day because i think i like i think that's yeah i think that's the main way that you sean would play it you know uh yeah yeah and uh yeah god god good good game what's your number five sean my number five is injustice 2 oh this is a netherrealm fighting game featuring dc characters yes the sequel to injustice 1 as you would expect yes and the reason that i like this game so much is that it's probably my favorite game that netherrealm has ever made yeah uh it's just like an incredibly solid 2.5D fighter. Yeah. Um, it has kind of all the features that you would expect. You have kind of like um, strings of attacks that you do, and you're able to chain them into combos by kind of bridging them with various special moves or pop-ups and things like that. Yeah, um, Netherrealm combos. Yeah, exactly, Netherrealm combos. Uh, it is a gorgeous game. I think it looks really good even compared to like MK11, for instance. Uh, this was the first game that I played where 
I like watched a cutscene and thought to myself, "Oh my god, I've never seen faces in a video game do that before." Yeah, uh, like they really leveled up compared to a lot of their previous games aesthetically. And D- I mean, D- WB Games uh, in that era was just getting real good at that. Like, yes. like I wasn't super shocked by it because I first noticed faces looking that good and moving that good in Arkham Knight. Right, which of course is another yeah uh, yeah. Uh, WB game yeah but no i i agree so yeah go, go on so it's a handsome video game uh it has a really cool story mode about kind of an alternate dc universe where everything's really fucked up uh yeah. that you can play through and you know kind of make different decisions play as different characters achieve one of two endings uh it also introduced what i thought of as being a very cool uh, kind of single player mechanic where you could go to this map of multiverses oh yeah um, and kind of do like battle towers that were all themed around a certain thing like catwoman's gone crazy and you've got to kill her and then you're like fighting you know uh with catwoman as an assist in all the battles or yeah you know, uh it's time superman's absorbed a bunch of sun energy and it's time to finally take him down there's like a really hard raid boss version of superman yeah it really, it really played with the multiverse concept in a fun way yeah exactly in a fun way that's like very particular to fighting games yes neat. uh it introduced the controversial gear system where you could unlock various looks for your character that also kind of improved their stats in certain contexts. Uh-huh. Which, you know, people loved it, people hated it. I came away from it mostly thinking that it was pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, and I think that just altogether, like, it's just a real good fighting game. Like, it is a real good fighting game. Yeah, like, it's satisfying to play, it's satisfying to watch. Um, it has some very cool implementations of various characters in the DC Universe um and like i don't necessarily know you know mechanically speaking like how innovative it is but it's very well done and i think that uh you know particularly if you're used to netherrealm games and how they work uh it's very difficult to kind of not you know like play a couple rounds of that and walk away not having had a good time yeah uh it's just uh yeah it's my number five because it's just one of the best fighting games I've ever played, and it was made in the last decade. Yeah, I think I think Netherrealm, especially with Justice Two, has just been real good at making fighting games. Yes. You know, like uh, I, one thing I really love that's unique to Injustice is kind of the trait system. Yeah, uh, like every character kind of has like, you know, uh, you have the four face buttons on your controller. Uh, in Injustice, each character has like three attacks, right? Like kind of like light, medium, heavy. Yes. But then like the X button or the or the A button, if you're using an Xbox controller, mm-hmm. uh, the the bottom button is is just like it's just a context sensitive like trait that's unique to every character. Yes. Like my main, for instance, was Catwoman. Yeah. In Injustice Two, and her trait is. Uh, whenever you attack your enemy, you have a chance of getting kind of a cat scratch yeah. in the trait area. Um, and the more you have, you can then cash them out to do an auto combo. Yeah. And so you're able to kind of like, or at least I, you know, kind of learned these long combo strings. And then if you had all of your cat scratches, you could then just push the button and humiliate your opponent even further <laughs> by like doubling the length of your combo and throwing them into the corner. Yeah. Uh, really, really fun rushdown character. 
Yeah, and and every character had generally had like such cool traits. Yes. You know, like I'm blanking on a lot of them. Uh, uh, let's see. So Harley Quinn has her uh, hyenas, Bud and Lou. Right. And she can use her trait button to kind of call them out, and they run across the screen and use them as kind of a pressure yeah. uh, tactic. Yeah, yeah. Um, Gorilla Grodd could activate his full psychic potential. Yes. Uh, thereby unlocking a number of other moves that he wouldn't otherwise have access yes, to. Yes, that's right. And Gorilla Grodd was the closest thing I had to a main when I played that game. Yeah. Yeah. And Gorilla Grodd, like, as is the often the case for Daniel, he was not a high tier character. <laughs> but to watch Gorilla Grodd in the hands of someone who can play him well is a sight to fucking behold. Oh yeah, he was I've, he was very unique. And I've very never cool. seen combos like that in another realm game before. <laughs> Just like leaping across the stage like a gorilla, uh-huh. you know, tossing your opponent around like they're a rag doll. Like very very cool. Yeah, then kind of like then just kind of like in the middle of the combo just like stopping them in place with your psychic <laughs> powers and kind of uh-huh. like tearing them apart that way. Yeah. He was very, very cool, very satisfying to play in a very like weird way. Yeah. Uh, Supergirl, just her trait was like eye lasers. Yeah. And so that was another one where like, she'd kind of charge them up over time. Yeah. And so Supergirl was kind of a pocket character for me. And I really enjoyed like doing a fun combo string and then finishing it off by just blasting my opponent in melee range with an enormous death beam out of my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was really cool to just see you finish the combo by just like holding the X button, and then she just <laughs> right. like hits you with a continuous yeah. stream of eye lasers as she just like stomps forward. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, just the whole trade system really. Uh, that is definitely an area where that game feels very unique. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I think the I think it's just a really polished game, and it's filled with cool move sets. You yes. know, like uh, like the ones we mentioned. Uh, I really love the way they implemented the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles into the game yeah. as DLC characters. So the gear system, like, among other things, you could often kind of, if your character had a weapon, you could equip various different weapons for looks for them, basically. Yeah. With the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, depending on the kind of weapon you had equipped, they you were a, a different, different turtle. turtle with different moves. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. That was yeah. great. Nah. Yeah, turtles were fucking awesome. Hellboy was was really cool. He was yeah. implemented really well. Oh, he was satisfying. I also um, I tried to get good with him, but I never did. But I loved Scarecrow. Oh yeah. Uh, oh Scarecrow. Who was the kind of conceit of fighting him was that all of his opening animations would have him like release Scarecrow gas, and then you're fighting like the hallucination version of him. Yes. And so he had all these kind of like mind bending moves where. You know, you think he's over here, but he's over there. There's two of them, and they're grabbing you, or yeah. he's like teleporting, or tearing a hole in reality and transporting you to somewhere else. Yeah, like just oh man, there's this great now retired uh, pro player uh, whose tag was White Boy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who was so good with Scarecrow, and I watched all of his matches and just had a great time. Nice, but yeah, Injustice Two, uh, just really rad and it had the benefit of coming out before i learned some things about netherrealm that really disappointed me in that company yeah so it was kind of like the last netherrealm game that i could unconditionally enjoy yeah <laughs> like now if i'm having a good time in mortal kombat 11 it's like oh man but they treat their interns like shit and didn't have any women's bathrooms for a while yeah uh, but with this it was just like fun it was just great yeah because we didn't know that yet <laughs> right exactly yeah. ignorance was bliss <laughs> I feel that. 
Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's my number five. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good pick. And Justice Two is a really good fighting game, and I respect it a lot. Cool. E- even though I don't play NetherRealm games nearly as much as you do, no. I always uh, like they've always just got a, an incredible level of polish, and both their single player and multiplayer experiences are always just pretty incredible. Yeah. My number four pick mm-hmm. is Life is Strange. Good choice. Another visual novel game, <laughs> but in a different way than the two that came before it. Oh, I think you might like a genre. I Maybe. It's so weird that I got attached to so many different visual novels, <laughs> actually, because like, like if I did like a 2001 to... Uh, two th- yeah. If I did like a 2000 to 2009 best of decade list i don't think there'd be nearly as many visual novels on it i think that visual novels have really evolved from like which of these high school girls is going to fall for you to this really dynamic genre that can have a lot of different kinds of game in it yeah uh so i think that helped i i think so too yeah. i think you're right about that life is strange is um is basically a story about this uh plays this high school senior named max caulfield who uh who's attending kind of this prestigious academy uh, as a photography student and the game kind of starts with her getting this uh this ability and and the the story kind of focuses on the way she uses it and this was kind of one of the one of the biggest games Mm -hmm. where like the choices you made through gameplay and through dialogue options like really like seriously affected the story, sure. you know, and based on the decisions you made, things could be very different. It was cool to see like, you know, like telltale games kind of experimented with this, mm-hmm. um, but would kind of, I always had this feeling with telltale games where it didn't like at the end, it didn't really feel like I'd, I would made <laughs> meaningful decisions yeah you know they definitely have a way of kind of wrapping everything up in such a way that there are like superficial differences exactly yeah like god like there's there's a bit in the wolf among us where there's there's a character you can choose to help or not help Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) and and i chose to help that character and then at the end uh like that character's like i'm leaving forever and you're like but i helped you and he's like yeah but this other thing happened off camera that <laughs> screwed me over anyway and that is uh, that is that is telltale in a yeah. in a nutshell you know yeah. life is strange on the other hand like my decisions in the game actually felt like they had weight like mm-hmm. like you know like i would make a dialogue decision and then like three chapters later that character that I talked to would reference the conversation we had, would reference the right. specific dialogue option I made. Um, and uh, and there are decisions that kind of you feel the vibrations of, you feel the effects of for the mm-hmm. rest of the game, like they're so major. Um, and one of the coolest things about Life is Strange, both narratively and mechanically, is Max's time travel ability. Because it does something that basically fixes an inherent problem <laughs> with the visual novel genre. Yeah. It one thing that I think a lot of these choice based games like Telltale, a lot of Telltale games kind of have this problem of you make a decision, you you choose a dialogue option, mm-hmm. and the outcome of that dialogue option is not what you expected it to be, right? Yeah. Like uh like the infamous glass him scene in The Wolf Among Us. Right. He there's this dialogue option that says glass him and 
and like I pick it because I'm like, oh yeah, you, you gave him a nice little glass. Right, so. you're you're at a bar, so yeah. you you might think reading that like, oh, this means give him a drink. Yeah, but instead, like Bigby like picks the glass up and smashes <laughs> it over right. the, the guy's head, and you're like, no, <laughs> uh, life life is strange has a mechanic where after every conversation you have. Max can hold her hand forward and rewind the conversation yes. to before you made that dialogue decision. And right. then you can make a different dialogue decision and see how that pans out. Yeah. Uh, you can do that through the vast majority of the game. And, and it, it just, it, that is just such a clever and probably unintentional fix to this recurring <laughs> problem that visual novel games had mm-hmm. where, we're like, oh, that that did not go the way I thought it would. Right. Let me rewind and try the other way. <laughs> uh, it was it's it's such like it made the experience of playing a choice based visual novel like so much less frustrating because you got mm-hmm. to experiment with your decisions so much. And once the decision making process of the game isn't something that's actively working against you, once it allows you to make decisions freely like mm-hmm. that. Uh, the game feels so smooth and it feels so good to play. Sure. Uh, and that allows you to get so much more invested in the decisions you do commit to and, mm-hmm. the, and the decisions you do make. Because there's a lot of points where you'll make a decision and there's like, oh, there's going to be drawbacks to this decision. Let me, right. re- let me rewind and see how the next decision goes. And, uh, and then you pick the second decision and, ooh, there's some drawbacks <laughs> to this decision too. Whatever decision I pick, I'm screwed at least a little bit. Right. But there's also potential positive outcomes to each decision. You sure. know, like it it doesn't feel like a like a telltale like you're screwed in the exact same way, whatever <laughs> you do. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh uh like do I want to be screwed in way A or way B? Because <laughs> because the way I'm screwed will make events flow very differently. Mm-hmm. And uh that's that's rad. Also, I got really invested in the narrative. Yeah. Like the story is really good. Yes. Uh, I've I've seen, you know, I've seen every ending of the game and the endings are cool. Nice. Uh the the main characters like the the primary characters the game follows, Max, her friend Chloe, they're they're very easy characters to get attached to. Yes. And and kind of um and it's very easy to feel for those characters as their stories develop. I agree. Uh, I, Amy and I have been playing through Life is Strange 2. And it's funny how that game is also really, really good. There's mm-hmm. a lot I really love about it. But it's funny how, because that game does not have time travel in yeah. it, it, it feels, it, it doesn't feel as tight mechanically. <laughs> and, uh, and has those typical like visual novel, mm-hmm. like choice-based visual novel frustrations. Still really like Life is Strange 2, though. Nice. But as as a game that I finished and a game that just got me really invested in that whole franchise. Yeah. Because uh, then I played Before the Storm, mm-hmm. and now I'm playing 2. <laughs> uh, we played Avengers of Captain Spirit. Right. And, man, it's such a great game that got me really invested in the whole franchise. And I wasn't expecting that. It does kind of have, like... The first chapter especially has some mm-hmm. very, like, oh, high schoolers don't talk <laughs> like that. Yeah. But they, like... It was really incredible, actually, to kind of see their storytelling improve from yes. chapter to chapter. You know, yeah, it really benefit sure. it really benefited from that episodic format, and they learned so much over the course of developing that game. Yeah, 
Life, Life is Strange 2 is my number four game. I think uh, I think it's a really underrated piece of media. I agree. I have really enjoyed what I've seen of your and Emily's playthrough of Life is Strange. And it's also kind of funny, the parallels that I noticed between that and Tactics Ogre, the more you were talking about it. <laughs> like, oh, they innovated this genre by giving you the opportunity to go back in time and correct your mistakes and make <laughs> alternate choices that change the narrative in a meaningful way. <laughs> How interesting. Um, so, yeah, for those reasons and many more, I can definitely see why it's on your top ten list. Yeah, it's, it's good shit. Um, what's your number four? My number four is the Resident Evil 2 remake. Nice. Resident Evil kind of lost its way for a little while there. I became a fan of it because I played the Resident Evil 1 remake and thought it was one of the coolest and scariest games I'd ever played in my life. Hmm. I then played 2 and 3 and thoroughly enjoyed those as well. I played and enjoyed 4, but it didn't really feel like Resident Evil in the same way that those games did. Huh. Uh, there was more of an emphasis on action than scares, and even though I enjoyed it, it definitely was the start of this kind of fundamental shift in the franchise. Right. I then played 5 and enjoyed it, but not in the same way that I enjoyed 4, and certainly not in the same way that I enjoyed 1 through 3. Right. And then I played 6. And then 7 came out. <laughs> <laughs> And 7 felt in some ways like a return to form because you were going back to this kind of like very tense puzzle-based horror, right. but also just kind of atmospherically and in some ways mechanically, like it was in first person, which is quite a departure. Right. It still didn't quite feel like the Resident Evil that I'd grown up with. Right. Uh, the Resident Evil that made me fall in love with Resident Evil in the first place. The Resident Evil 2 remake does feel like that again. Nice. It is just the perfect marriage of modern game design sensibilities and that classic Resident Evil feel. And so, on the one hand, it's this great nostalgia trip for people like me who grew up playing a lot of classic Resident Evil games. And on the other hand, it's the kind of thing where if you like horror generally, but you haven't been a Resident Evil fan up to now... It's just a great way to experience the franchise for the first time. Um, it is a truly scary game. Mm. Uh, in particular, you know, there is kind of this monster, Mr. X, who stalks you throughout a large portion of the game. I've seen the memes. Yeah, I was going to say he was now quite infamous. Um, who, and just terrifying dealing with him, generally. Yeah. Um, it is also just a really excellent shooter. Uh, the controls feel very tight and responsive. When you are bitten by a zombie or harassed by one of the game's more kind of abstract enemies, you know, if you die, you generally feel like it's your fault because you uh, got impatient, made a stupid mistake, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, the story both feels intense and has a lot of stakes to it, but at the same time kind of maintains that resident evil camp and cheeseballishness that a lot of longtime fans will really appreciate and i think that just altogether, they innovate in ways where innovation was necessary if you want to release a game you know in the modern era uh but they also retain enough that it definitely feels like you are playing a resident evil game in the classical sense uh I guess the best way I can think to put it is that 
Resident Evil 2 Remake is such a good remake in so many of the right ways that I hope that the Final Fantasy VII Remake nails it in a similar way. And I ha. think it might. Okay. You know, like Cloud is definitely still wearing some like goofy ass 90s armor. Yeah. And the story is completely fucking bonkers. And you're running around with a talking panther. But when you're in there and you're like playing the game, you know, it feels really good and you have this new visual coat of paint and there's competent voice acting. Yeah. Like, that's what I want out of Final Fantasy VII Remake and that's what I got out of the Resident Evil 2 Remake. Okay, really, nice. really good experience. <laughs> You're running around with a talking panther. I just like, it's like, it's like we've got to defeat President Shinra, Mowgli. I mean, Cloud. <laughs> Cloud. Your name's Cloud. I haven't been in the Jungle Book. Uh... Yeah, cool. Yeah. Nice. Good pick. Thanks. What is your number three? Ooh, we in the top three now. Yeah. My number three is a visual novel. <laughs> what? It's it's the last visual novel <laughs> on my list. Okay. Uh, and it's also one that you and I have talked about extensively on other podcasts. Yes. But it's one that uh, really, of the visual novels that I've played on both like my top 10 and my honorable mentions Mm -hmm. this is the visual novel i played first out of all of those (laughs) and Uh, so it is responsible for many of the other things on this list it it actually is yeah uh a minimum of one of the developers of of my other top 10 Mm -hmm. games uh visual novels have cited this visual novel as uh as an influence nice um anyway the game is 999 9 hours 9 persons 9 doors if you have a if you've learned anything about daniel by now you know that he loves to talk about things for a long time and then finally say what they are after hey, you're the, confused hey the setup is cool man <laughs> you know like you 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 wanna you you wanna like you wanna put you will put it on the on the pedestal before you swing the baseball bat and yeah. If I am fortunate enough to be invited to speak at your wedding one day in the future, I'm going to do like, now this is a man who some of you may know. He's a good man. He's a man with a face. He's got arms. And he loves his wife very much. This man is Daniel Thorson. (laughs) (laughs) See, if you did that not shitty, I think that'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Okay. Everyone knows I have arms shot. Good <laughs> they mean, don't narrow it down at all. Not all of our listeners have seen you. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say not all of our listeners have arms. Which I guess <laughs> which I guess could be true. Yeah, who knows? We yeah. haven't seen them. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm sorry, talk about nine nine nine, nine hours, nine persons, nine doors. Uh right. Uh is good visual novel video game. Yeah. It's it's funny because all of my other things kind of all my other visual novels I mentioned, uh, 428, uh, Rampa, Life is Strange, uh, Pyre, they, yeah. they were all very creative twists on the visual novel uh, genre. You know, mm-hmm. they all did something very different with that genre. Um, 999 is probably the one that plays it straightest, I think. Sure. But it also just does it super competently. Yeah. It tells a really great story, super riveting, and actually, like... Uh, it is a game that has branching paths and yes. different decisions you can make, and the way it plays with that mechanic is also really awesome and very cool. Uh, 
the the game is filled with surprises. It was kind of like like I started like I am now like in 2020 a guy that is used <laughs> to some pretty crazy twists in games. Yeah, but that was like my first experience with that. Sure, right? sure, I get like that. that was one of my first experiences with how crazy these Japanese visual novels could get with their twists, you know. <laughs> Uh, and it really caught me off guard and I just, I really fell in love with the, with the game and its dialogue and its cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I played the DS version of the game. Right. I later recommended the PS4 version of the game to Sean. Yes. Uh, and it's funny. The DS version is so much older. It lacks so many, uh, slice of life additions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet I think I prefer the DS version, uh, both in the way the narrative plays out in the DS version, Mm -hmm. like the way the narrative plays out, it plays out in a very specific way in the DS version that is done much more clunkily on the PS4 version. Mm -hmm. And also the PS4 version has a dub, which is okay. And I kind of, I think maybe this is a nostalgia thing, but I actually kind of just prefer like a, like just kind of the, you just kind of hear like a dialogue noise done at like different pitches depending on who's speaking. Yeah. And I think that's a bit more effective. And there are there is at least one puzzle that is different in the DS version than the PS4 version and the puzzle in the PS4 version sucks. Yes. Like yeah, so like it's it's weird that they took like 10 years to make a remake of that game mm-hmm. and the, the older version is still the <laughs> definitive one, but like it like when that game was designed, it was kind of designed specifically to be played on the Nintendo DS, and they they did that in a really cool way that I liked a lot. Uh, and um, yeah, I like how many different ways can I talk about visual novels at this point? <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is kind of the granddaddy of your visual novel experience, you it, know? Yeah, it it really is. Uh, like you know, uh, in in nine, we've talked about the story of some of these. That in nine nine nine, nine hours, nine person, nine doors. You basically, your the protagonist wakes up. He and eight other people have been trapped uh, in this location by the mysterious zero. Right. Uh, and they have to together proceed through all these different numbered doors uh, to find a door with the number nine. Right. Which presumably is the way that they will get to escape. Uh, there's kind of some, some similarities to Danganronpa, and that's because uh, the creator of Danganronpa did, was inspired mm-hmm. by, by 999 in different ways when he, when he put together Danganronpa. Yes. Um, and yeah, like the, the characters that the protagonist Junpei is stuck with, the, the way the story branches depending on which doors you decide to go through and uh just kind of the twists you find out the the things you find out about the people that you're stuck with and the way the story proceeds from there uh just uh, it's all top notch it's all mm-hmm. very cool writing very just excellent storytelling uh like there's a lot of writing in video games that isn't very good but this <laughs> felt like this at the time, especially felt the closest in quality to like actually reading a fucking book and like seeing, seeing those, seeing a book play out visually a lot of the time, like a visual novel, a novel that is visual. Yes. Uh, yeah. 
999 remains just one of the coolest games ever. Uh, and I know I, I'm much more attached to my experience with it than you were attached to your experience with it, Sean. You know, like, that's true. I, I definitely did not enjoy 999 anywhere near as much as you and I played through it. Right. But I think that just me saying that in and of itself doesn't do enough to encapsulate my 999 experience because there were a lot of things that I thought were really cool about that game. Yeah. I thought that a lot of the puzzles were really neat and interesting and kind of cerebral. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I completely forgot like the locked room <laughs> yeah, part of the game. Yeah. You're locked in a lot of rooms and you kind of have to do these, these puzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, <laughs> Basically, you do a bunch of escape rooms. Yes. The game was ahead of its time. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, even though it was often done in quite a ham-fisted way, I really appreciated the seriousness and sincerity with which the game's narrative engaged with a lot of scientific and philosophical topics and concepts. Yeah. Like, you know, even if it's really weird for a character to suddenly drop everything and start talking about the ship of Theseus, <laughs> it's cool that they're doing that at all because yes. 99.9 repeating percent of games do not. Yeah. Um, and I can definitely see how for somebody who's playing that game for the first time and hasn't been exposed to a lot of thought experiments like that, that could be quite a revelation. Yeah. You know, in the same way that like, the matrix was for a lot of people even though it was basically just like could we be living in a machine which is something people have been talking about for years in certain circles sure yeah you know like it's still really cool and so yeah i i think that there is a lot of stuff that is really great about 999 and a lot of stuff that it does well and even though my feelings about it are different than yours are in some respects i think it totally deserves to be on your list thank you absolutely i appreciate that What's your number three, Sean? My number three is Monster Hunter World. Oh! Yes. And, you know, similarly to 999, we did an entire play this episode about this. Yes. So rather than talking about the game generally, I what I'd really like to talk about as I kind of defend its number three spot is Monster Hunter World in relation to the rest of the Monster Hunter franchise, mm. which is to say that this was the game that brought Monster Hunter well and truly into the mainstream. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And I appreciate it for doing that. I love that I have so many friends now who play Monster Hunter. Yeah. And that there was a period of time where I could just like hop on to uh, my PlayStation 4 and I would really have to think about who I was going to play with because <laughs> that many people were playing it. Yeah. Like, that is a bonkers fucking experience compared to you know my past with monster hunter where i really had to fight to get people to try that game right um but i also appreciate that monster hunter world brought monster hunter into the mainstream without sacrificing its monster hunterness in a way that made me think less of it compared to other games in the franchise that's a good point like when i am in that game with my insect glaive cutting the tail off a of rathalos while soaring through the air with my other party members you know wailing on it at the same time it really and truly feels like monster hunter in a sincere and meaningful way and so there's a sense in which when we were all playing monster hunter world together when i you know had experiences with friends who were playing and loving monster hunter for the first time the feeling that i had was like it's so cool that my friends finally get to appreciate what I love about these games in a way that is both accessible and like honest. 
Um, yeah. And so because of that, because Monster Hunter World is the Monster Hunter game that allowed everyone to love Monster Hunter if they want to, <laughs> um, you know, that's why it's my number three. Yeah, I th- I think that's a really good reason to put it there. You know, cool. like, like, because, yeah, like, similar to kind of your experience with Zero Escape. Yeah. Like, you know, like, playing Monster Hunter World did not, like, uh, did not, like, <laughs> blow me away sure, sure. with, you know, like, I... Uh, I I didn't like yeah it it didn't affect me the same way that it affected you mm-hmm. but uh I do like Monster Hunter World and I I really respect that game for all the cool things that it does do and for really doing its best to actually make an accessible <laughs> Monster Hunter experience yeah. and I think there's there's still kind of some growing pains there uh because it's kind of its that was kind of its first, mm-hmm. like, genuine try at being accessible <laughs> and being, like, a mainstream experience. Yeah. But the uh, the amount they got right definitely, uh, like, uh, outnumbers and overwhelms what they didn't get so right, I think. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Like, I, like... I like I'm not really itching to like you know like to 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 download the game again and jump back in Iceborne you sure. know like I I'm like I'm I'm satisfied with the amount of Monster <laughs> Hunter World I've played mm-hmm. but on the other hand if like if Monster Hunter Five comes out for the Switch and does similar things or if Monster Hunter World Two comes out in 2023 right. or whatever I could see myself picking that up and and jumping back into some months with you well that's good enough for me as, thank you Capcom <laughs> as long. As as long as we can play through a story mission at the same time for the first time. Oh, that would be so great. Yeah. Oh, they, man. They, they got a lot of complaints about that in Iceborne because, so, for people who haven't played Monster Hunter World, um, if you are doing a main story hunt for the first time, other people cannot join that hunt until you've seen all the cutscenes that lead up to you fighting the monster, yep. which can sometimes take like 5, 10, 15 minutes, uh-huh. depending on what's going on. Uh, in Iceborne, people were really hoping that they would kind of change or fix that, and they didn't. <laughs> and they got like a fan question about it at one point when they were doing kind of like a Monster Hunter Direct. Yeah. And they basically kind of wink and nod implied that like it's hard coded into the game they can't change it please just wait for the next one fair okay <laughs> so so hopefully they really will you know make an adjustment okay that that sounds nice yeah that sounds nice all um, right what is your number two my number two game is xenoblade chronicles for the wii all right yes good 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 choice yeah i xenoblade is this should have been one of my honorable mentions easily but i don't know what i would have knocked off fair yeah z yeah xenoblade's just an excellent ass game it's yeah yeah uh it came out kind of in the tail end of the of the wii's lifespan and it was such a good game uh just sitting there in japan (laughs) in 2010 uh uh, like nintendo of america had just kind of quietly been like i don't think we're localizing this game right this game's gonna be a lot of work to localize uh that like there was kind of a fan outcry, a fan outcry so loud that like, uh, but respectful. Like yeah, they, yeah. there was actually like a, a movement right called Operation Rainfall, right? Uh, right, where like people just like sent like fan mail to Nintendo and like just were like really earnest, uh, and like positive about how much they want to see kind of these 
these cool uh, Wii RPGs show up in the States, like mm-hmm. Pandora's Tower and Xenoblade Chronicles and The Last Story. Um, and that that was enough of a driving force that Europe was like, we'll localize Xenoblade Chronicles. <laughs> and Nintendo of America was like, we'll take your localization of Xenoblade Chronicles right. and publish it in the States. So, like... Them doing that, A, creates this very unique experience to play in the States where uh, it's kind of this sci-fi slash fantasy setting where all the characters have British accents. And where when you learn a new art, it says, art learnt with an NT, for instance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um which actually kind of ends up adding to the charm of the game, you know. I, I like. I think if uh, I think if Shulk, for example, the protagonist, was just voiced by Yuri Lowenthal again, right? Yeah, just like, hey, wow, I got the Monado. Yeah, but instead, it's like, oh, the Monado. <laughs> uh, I, I got it. Yeah, <laughs> the power of the Monado. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like, it kind of just feels like I'm making fun of British voices now, but like it. <laughs> Like it, it gave it gave us a voice cast that we in the states did, have not gotten to hear before. You yeah. know, it, it, and it's really great. It's, it's an excellent so dub. Good. It's yeah. an excellent dub, and it sound like it sounds really refreshing. Uh, and um, Z- Xenoblade Chronicles is like an RPG with a very unique setting. Like basically, uh, like these two like giant robots basically yeah like the bionis and the mechanis yeah basically like fought each other to the death and and you are part of a civilization that lives uh like basically humanity just lives like on around and inside (laughs) their corpses basically Right. right like the bionis now has kind of like you know plant life and animals that have kind of grown on it in the intervening millennia yeah uh, and that has given rise to a human civilization yeah ba- basically like yeah you are like you're you're the village that you live in basically like you know like has a couple hundred people in it right and it takes up like a fraction of the bionis's <laughs> elbow you right, know like right. yeah uh and so then as, you know, because of course you go on a quest that involves traveling along the Bionis. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, oh, I'm traveling along the Bionis's knee. And then sometimes you can like see other parts of the Bionis from where you are. Yeah. Really, really good stuff. Really yeah. Neat. Really awesome setting. Yeah. And, and basically you, the protagonist Shulk, like come across this cool sword called the Monado that gives you the ability to briefly see the future. I got a lot of time travel stuff on my list, Sean. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's I got a, a lot of, I got a lot of stuff that plays with time. I mean, hey, I have Fire Emblem Awakening and Tactics Ogre on my list. That's true. Uh <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking a little farther I was going to say and... later on there'll be even more time travel. Yeah, time travel's cool, man. It's great. And I wish it was real. Well, <laughs> do I Sometimes I wish it was real. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Z, like, it's got an excellent setting. Uh, the cast of characters and their, you know, uh, their arcs are really great. Yes. I, I got, like, I got so invested in so many of these character stories. <laughs> like, uh, there's one character, Melia, who's, 
who's essentially like she's a playable member of your party mm-hmm. and really like she's not the main focus of the story but i got i got so attached to her she's such <laughs> she's great yeah i i love melia really cool mechanically too like every oh. every party member because it's an action rpg yeah uh really feels mechanically distinct from one another in very cool ways yeah like uh like the battle system is one of the yeah. awesomest things because it kind of it kind of plays a little bit like an MMO battle mm-hmm. system, like kind of like a real time, like uh, you're you will automatically just attack the opponent, right? Uh, like at certain intervals, but also you have all these different special abilities that you can activate, mm-hmm. uh, like at your own pace. And, and you have the kind of class archetypes like tanks and healers and damage dealers. Yeah, and basically you you fight as like a party of three, and like the other two members of your party are you know are those different archetypes and they're they're controlled by ai but you can swap your control uh you can swap which character you're controlling yeah at pretty much any point in the game so you have this game that kind of plays like an mmo but you get to play <laughs> as like several right. different playable characters that all play incredibly differently from yeah. each other and all have these different play styles like if i'm playing final fantasy 14 i as the healer can't go this tank sucks let <laughs> me switch and play as him yeah <laughs> uh but in xenoblade you know i can do that and it's yeah. very satisfying yeah and and like every play style actually feels like pretty fun to play oh like, yeah this, this is one of the only games where i've had fun playing as the tank you know? <laughs> yeah i actually like I don't play as tanks in MMO because I get really anxious about performing badly and getting made fun of by, you know, the real humans I'm playing but with. But this is a single player exactly. game. <laughs> so I played the fuck out of Ryan, who is this yeah. big, beefy, tanky character in Xenoblade. Yeah. Who's kind of this, like, sort of barbarian archetype that can swing his weapon around and do all these area attacks. Really, really fun. Yeah. And, like, just, like, kind of uh, attract the enemy's aggro. And, right. Yeah. Oh, man uh so yeah this is a game with like a great setting a great battle system (laughs) great characters the soundtrack is phenomenal oh yes like one like one of the best battle themes yeah ever made is in this game uh like the the dub is great there uh, there's the world is like realized in such cool ways like this this is a huge like open world RPG, right? Yes. You there's so much of the Bionis and the Mechanis uh to explore and wander around in and and so many like cool different things you can discover just by exploring the world and you are rewarded for exploring so many times. Uh like it it feels like a single player MMO in the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, like it doesn't feel big and empty and, uh, and like, and like you wish you had people to play with. Right. Like on the contrary, it feels yeah. full and bursting and completely realized. Yeah. And, and just like you, you get really invested in the story that the game shows you. I, uh, you know, I, I beat the hell out of that game. I, I sunk over a hundred hours into it and, uh, <laughs> and God, that was a really great experience. You know, it's, it's just, a really heartfelt, really polished, uh, just really incredible game. Uh, that is my number two. Nice. My, my second favorite of the decade. Good number two choice. Thank you. What's your number two? 
So my number two is Into the Breach. Speaking <laughs> yeah. of time travel. Yeah. I have talked about this game exhaustively on several podcasts, so I'll keep it brief. Okay. This game is cheap. Like yeah. $15. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, this game is made by the FTL guys, so you know it's good. Yeah. This game is great if you love kind of mech combat and aliens and having the fate of the world in the palm of your hand. Yeah. And this game is quite simply one of the best and most tightly designed video games that I've ever played in my entire fucking life. It's it is it, a yeah, it's a uh, masterclass in yeah. game design. It really is. I this this actually was on my honorable mentions list. Actually, it was on my games of the decade list <laughs> and it slid off that and then it slid off my honorable mentions. <laughs> but I but honestly, in part because I knew that you would talk about it. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah. oh, do I like talking about this game? <laughs> but yeah, uh so to make a long story short, the world is ending. You have to stop it from ending by piloting a mech along with two other people. Yeah. You can choose captains for the mechs that all have different abilities. You are trying to stop an alien menace called the Vec. And the game kind of plays in reverse to how you would expect um, a strategy game to play in that the enemies move first. They telegraph what they're going to do, and then you have to stop them. Uh, you have to stop them from defeating your own units, and you also have to stop them from killing civilians who are in buildings on the maps that you play on. Right. Uh, it's kind of a roguelike-ish in that you play through it over and over again and unlock new pilots and yeah. new mechs. Love that and part. And you can kind of start off in different areas of the world map. Um the story is kind of it's more incidentally you kind of uncover bits and pieces of it as you play but that's very satisfying to do mm -hmm. to make a long story short you know you've spent 15 dollars on a burger before <laughs> imagine instead spending 15 dollars on an incredibly designed, fantastic game experience that will stick with you for the rest of your life. I love how whenever we do, like, these lists, like, you always end your coverage of a game <laughs> by, like, advertising it. Well, Into the Breach! <laughs> Come play it! It's a game on many consoles! You can get it on the Switch. Yeah. Get that shit on the Switch, Spe fellas. Speaking of the Switch, uh, I'm really pumped. Jumping back to my number two game. Yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. Yes. So excited for that. Yeah. Especially because it's been like a good five years or so since I've played Xenoblade Chronicles right. 1. Like, I'm really excited to either sink my teeth into that game mm -hmm. or watch Amy play through it, depending on how she feels about that. I was going to say, like, either way, it's going to be really fun for you to show that game to Amy Lee, I it's, think. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Nice. She's she's a little less excited, but she hasn't seen the game yet, so that makes sense. <laughs> well, ho yeah, yeah, hopefully her mind will change quite quickly. Yeah. For the better. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see that game again anyway. I'd, Me too. I'd a thousand percent recommend getting Xenoblade definitive edition yes when it comes out in june sometime 2020 we don't know when yet yeah just as i would recommend getting into the breach now on the switch <laughs> or you know pc or whatever nice yeah okay so uh we're down to our top one pick yes each so before we used to do our top one we have some listener mail submissions. All right. Of some of our listeners. 
top games of the decade. Cool. So, Atlas Fathom on Twitter gave us a top 15. <laughs> I will read his top five. Okay. Beat Saber, 2019. Nice. Smash Ultimate, 2018. Yeah. Zelda Breath of the Wild, 2017. Marvel Spider-Man, 2018. Yeah. And Minecraft, which had its official release in 2011. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are valid picks. I think so, too. I wasn't even thinking about Minecraft. Uh, you know, I that's not the game that I would include on my list, but I think that in, an inclusion of it on a list is more than warranted. Absolutely. I think yeah. it's deserved for sure. Leo Veritas on Twitter says, Gotta go with Smash Ultimate. In my pursuit to become a competitive player, I found awesome podcasts like AST and made great friends. Aww. You. <laughs> Honorable mentions Zelda Breath of the Wild and Fire Emblem Three Houses. Nice. Thanks, Leo. Thanks, Leo. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. James M on Twitter. Yeah, McLeod. Says... Spider-Man for PS4 was pretty great. From story to voice acting to the feel of web swinging, this game got about everything right. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, good good pick, James. For sure. Uh Spider Spider-Man would probably be like it would definitely be on like my top 50 of the decade or something. Oh, agreed. Yeah, yeah or my top 30, maybe my top 20. Mm -hmm. But like uh, that game is is just expertly made, and it kind of takes a genre that was kind of invented in the 2010s, really, like <laughs> or or the the late 2000s, because mm. uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum kind of right kind of created this way that games were made, uh, and Spider-Man just really polished that into a diamond, I think. Yes, a spider diamond. Spider diamond. Spider, spider diamond. diamond. Probably worth a lot of money. Anyway, thanks. To the bank, get some more money, but in cash, not a diamond. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. Uh, <laughs> thanks, James M. Thanks, James M. Ryan Zepp on Twitter says, Doom 2016, hmm. probably the most visceral game <laughs> I've ever played. I got it through Redbox and gave them plenty of money until I was able to beat it. <laughs> Challenging, but in the best way possible. Nice. Yeah. I have been very curious about that game, and I absolutely will pick it up at some point. Yeah. Because I like Doom. And, you know, that is evidently an excellent Doom game. <laughs> yeah. So, I've, yeah, why not? Yeah, I've heard really excellent things about Doom 2016, and I feel like that's probably a deserved pick. You yeah, know? for sure. Yeah. And Mr. Goobermania says, Zelda Breath of the Wild. This is easily the first game that comes to mind. After completing so many amazing games this decade on PC, console, and even games in VR, this is still the one I go back to just to relax. Hmm. Even after three years and nearly 600 hours of play, I still remember playing it for the first time and that feeling of wonder from exploring the game seriously hooked me. This is a game that I wish I could have my memory wiped just to experience it again for the first time. And then he capped off his Twitter thread with an animated GIF of like a cartoon version of Link in his underwear running around uh like <laughs> screaming uh with a torch in his hand as he like sets the grass on fire. Yeah, I got to pick that game up. <laughs> yeah, with the Zelda Breath of the Wild. Oh, actually instead of Zelda Breath of the Wild it says Zelda, the Legend of Zelda burn everything like in the Zelda <laughs> font behind him. Very good. Yeah, good good gif. Yeah, but yeah, I 
I feel bad for not having played that <laughs> game at this point. I have got to pick that game up. It's yeah, it's a good Zelda game, man. Yeah, yeah it's 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 good. Yeah, I I, th- I think it's it's absolutely warranted on a games of the decade list. Cool. I think it's very innovative and and very satisfying to play. Nice. Uh thank you all listeners. Yes. For your mail. Uh we're going to do one more thing before we announce our top ones. Oh. My girlfriend Amy Lee just got home and she has a top 3. So I'm going to let her into the studio. Uh, and okay. and she's just going to maybe yell it into my mic. Sure. Or your mic. Okay. Uh because like, you know, in in an ideal world, she we would have done the thing again where all three of us just did our top 10. But we're adults with jobs. Yeah, we're adults with jobs and she had to work for most of this and also uh like the format we record a three person podcast takes so much more time to edit than the two person yes. podcast. Um so Amy is going to run into this room and give us a top three. Okay. Amy Amy, you can come in. <laughs> I don't know if that if the mics picked up her woo. But well, I she, hope she I hope wooed. she did woo. also are you okay with this? Yeah, no, that's yeah. fine. Cool. The dog might get excited for a second when she comes in because the dog is in the room. Yes. Hi. I, I'm not positive how we're going to do this. Okay. But if you wanted to, like, crawl over here and just, like, speak this way, we'll give it a try. Well, I th- yeah, I think, Daniel, if you scoot over, you could probably do it. Yeah. Oh. It'd be easier than figuring something out over here. Yeah. He's so happy to see you. Oh, this is all right. He's <laughs> the, very small. You can pick him up. The dog has crawled over oh, to your space. So he's so happy to see you. <laughs> You'll have to repeat things if he snorfs near the mic. Hello, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> as Hello. you as you slide into the couch that I'm on. Hi. This is the physical equivalent of sliding into your DMs. (laughs) (laughs) And now the dog has jumped on you. Yeah. Um, So, Amy. Yeah. uh, You have three games that you really love this decade. Yes. What Uh, are they? Yeah, and in reverse order of your love for them. Um, They can be subjective, right? Yeah. 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 Every list is. (laughs) But yes, they can. Okay. Three is very fitting because it's three houses oh Oh, nice nice. yeah good (laughs) um had a lot of fun with it still need to finish some playthroughs love the characters good stuff nice yeah very good two uh just got to level 400 (laughs) (laughs) in this game it's overwatch (laughs) yeah yeah i cannot tell you how many hours i've put into this since it came out on both PC and PS4. Oh man, that's true. Because I had PC first, played right. that a bunch. Man, I, I remember that that transitional phase feels so long ago now. I remember uh, when you played on the PS4 for the first time, you're like, I don't like the way this controls. <laughs> I'm never going to get used to this. And now. Yeah, now I refuse to play on PC. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how the turntables. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but uh, I love this game. I play it almost daily. Mm-hmm. It was one of Daniel's honorable mentions. Oh, yeah, 
Yeah, kind of, yeah, I kind of did that to honor you, Loki. Sorry. Aww, well, I just got home, so take that. <laughs> my my sentimental decision was useless. And uh, my number one is nine nine nine. Okay. Yeah. Nice. My favorite video game of all time. Damn. Yeah, that that was my. Oh yeah, that's right. Of ever. Like, yeah. Yeah. Of, of, <laughs> of any, ever. Of any decade. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, that was my, um, that was my number three pick. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, that was my number three pick. So I did not have it on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty on brand for us both. Fair. Yeah. yeah, I there's so many other video games that it's hard to pick a top three. So as of this moment, when I just got home, yeah, I gave you very little notice. You on did, that. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I mean, cool. I think it was hard for us to pick a top 10 with five honorable mentions. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our t- God, a, essentially a top 15 was fucking tough for us to do. So I, I think I think that's a very good top three, especially like so on the fly like that. Did Did you want to say anything about why 999 is like your favorite ever? Puzzle good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a lot about 999 that I really like. I like the different endings. I like the time mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. I like the breaking the fourth wall. I love the characters. I love the weird campy <laughs> concepts they have sometimes. Sure. Nice. Uh, I like the idea of having bracelets that could potentially kill you and like the digital roots and all that cool stuff yeah. man yeah you that's that's cool you basically summed up so much shit that's cool about the game <laughs> that either i forgot to or took me 20 times as long to explain <laughs> that's um okay <laughs> the, the dog has climbed onto amy's person he's a weird parrot yeah he, he perches yeah he likes to perch he will climb onto our shoulders and then just lie down <laughs> Um, can I just yell some quick honorable mentions real quick? Yeah, sure. do it, do it. Okay, uh, Undertale, obviously, I that might have actually been my number three. Nice, <laughs> Had yeah. I thought about this more. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, uh, 42H Scramble, really good. Nice, good. Uh, that I was, that like... was one of my honorable mentions. Oh, nice. Yeah. I feel like there's more, oh, um... Persona 4 Golden, you were really good, even though you had some trash bits, which is why you didn't make my list. <laughs> uh, Persona 5 was my number 10, and that was, uh, th- th- that was like, that was a hard decision to make. Like, yeah. yeah. That was also basically his summary of that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It's like, this game is trash, but I still... I'm assuming, Amy Lee, that Life is Strange is one of your honorable mentions, or was that in your top three? No, Life is Strange would be one of my honorable mentions. Cool. Made that, me cry a lot. That was my number four. Aw, you like Life is Strange that much? I do like it that much. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Okay, Life is Strange 2, shout out. I haven't finished you yet, but you're real good. <laughs> uh, oh man, what other video games have I played? Uh, let's, so, uh, what a, <laughs> I don't know if I'll include this because we, well, you know what, this, this is a nice way to recap for our viewers. Yeah. Uh, so Sean and I have not said our top ones yet. Okay. Uh, but, uh, my honorable mentions were Smash Bros. Ultimate, okay. po- Pokemon Heart Gold, mm-hmm. Overwatch, uh, 4 Shibuya Scramble, and Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. I hope 
the dog licking you can't be picked up on the mic. This is the least professional recording session I've ever done. Well, this is a weird thing we're doing, so I think the fans will understand. Uh, my my yeah. honorable mentions are also Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, uh, Mortal Kombat 9, Tekken 7, Persona 4 Arena Ultimax, and Dragon's Dogma. Uh, my my 10th place through 2nd place... Uh, or well, why don't we just like zigzag? So my number sure. my number ten was Persona Five. Mine was Red Dead Redemption. My number nine was Animal Crossing New Leaf. Mine was Bloodborne. My number eight was Persona Four Arena Ultimax. Mine was Fire Emblem Awakening. Uh, my number seven was Pocket Card Jockey for the 3DS. Mine was Tactics Ogre. Let us cling together for the PSP. <laughs> uh, my number six was Danganronpa Two. Mine was Final Fantasy Fourteen: A Realm Reborn. Uh, my number five was Pyre. Mine was Injustice Two. My number four was Life is Strange. My number four was Resident Evil 2 Remake. My number three was 999, 9 Hours, 9 Persons, 9 Doors. Mine was Monster Hunter World. And my number two was Xenoblade Chronicles 1. And mine was Into the Breach. Ooh. Those are some good picks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Shout out to Tekken 7. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Lee is the biggest Tekken fan in the house. Yeah. Also yeah. the best at Tekken in the house. Yes. Yeah. She will fucking stomp our asses. Yes. It's true. Yeah. Um, do, do you want to hang out with us while we say our number ones? <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, so my number one pick, uh, my favorite game of the decade, 2010 to 2019, is Undertale. That makes very much sense. Yeah. Uh, but also uh, a good choice. Yeah. So one of my favorite games of the previous decade, I think probably my favorite game of the previous decade was Mother 3. Yeah. And one of my favorite games of the decade before that would be <laughs> Earthbound. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's kind of natural... That a game that takes so much inspiration from Earthbound and Mother 3 mm -hmm. uh, is a game that resonated a lot with me. Yeah. Um, but I think Undertale is so much more than a riff on on, on the Earthbound franchise. Mm -hmm. I think Toby Fox uh, just made something really unique and really incredible uh, by taking kind of, you know, like a, a Super Nintendo style JRPG, yeah. uh, but also giving you player-based choice in that game yes and the player-based choice isn't just dialogue options it is the way you play the game mm -hmm. like the choices are built into the mechanics of the game like you have the decision to solve any combat conflict with pacifism you have the choice to not kill any opponent in that game um the you know the the kind of tagline for the game was like the, the rpg where no one has to die right, right. um and depending on on who you who you do or don't decide to fight in that game uh there's just so many different outcomes there's so many different endings mm -hmm. and and the way the game can turn out uh some of the ways the game can turn out are just so like uh, they they just hit me so hard emotionally some yeah. of, some of these potential outcomes uh and the cast of characters is one of the best in any video game uh they toby fox is a really remarkable writer yes yeah the, in addition to his many other talents yeah the the character dialogue is is really incredible really gets you attached to these characters uh the soundtrack is one of the best oh yeah in any video game and um like 
like there there are some incredibly hard boss battles in this game but the boss battle music is so good there was this fucking uh like moffat right the the spider girl moffat moffat yeah uh there there was this boss fight with this character moffat that i was stuck in stuck <laughs> i was stuck on that fight for hours mm-hmm. uh but her theme is such a banger that i was never <laughs> mad about it yeah. like 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 on hour 2 i was just like fucking like humming the theme while getting my ass kicked um and you're right the writing of the game is so good mm-hmm. and the way things unfold is done uh so well that i like there are parts of the game that have made me like tear up there sure. are parts of the game uh that are so suspenseful and and so uh so gripping that like i felt just genuine anxiety like yeah. as i played those parts of the game and i know it's it's just a really special experience it it cre it kind of sets your expectations at the beginning by being kind of an okay like earthbound ripoff like mm-hmm. aesthetically and even kind of in writing style and then it subverts the expectations it sets in so many ways and i think that's kind of you know undertale's worst kept secret uh which is you know why i'm speaking so freely about it now yeah but the the ways in which the game surprises you the way in which the game kind of grips you and and uh just kind of explores the medium in all these weird and creative ways Mm -hmm. i i just it's incredible and one dude did this you know one one dude with some help yeah uh just made this thing that blew me away i like i was very peripherally aware of it uh like a month before it came out and i got to play it before it really blew up and uh man yeah yeah game game of the decade for me nice i'm glad you like this game so much and i think that it definitely deserves you know the top spot on your list I didn't like it as much as you did. It actually kind of killed my YouTube channel <laughs> because I just didn't feel like continuing to play it. And I also I, got a full-time job at the same time. Right. I think, uh, like, um, the point at which you stopped was a point where I almost stopped because I wasn't really feeling it. Mm-hmm. When I, when I got, f- when I got farther than that, um, I'd, I'd say, I'd say it was close to the end of my first playthrough of that game, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, when things like really clicked for me and i will say that like there's there's stuff about the game that i enjoyed a lot of stuff about the game that i enjoyed even in the amount that i played it yeah there is this is difficult to talk about without spoiling something but right in in addition to you being able to play the game and experience it generally as you know the like snappily written and well executed rpg that it is yeah the game also kind of plays with you a little bit in a meta context yes it does um and i never enjoy that it always (laughs) pisses me off like i made a mistake during my playthrough uh that i then wanted to go back and correct yeah by reloading my save file uh, or by, I, I started over. I decided I was going to start over because I was quite early on. Yeah. And when I erased my save file and began the game again, the game knew that I had done that and some of the dialogue changed. Yeah. And 
you know, I feel as though the reaction from a lot of people would be like, oh, this is so cool. Ha ha. How funny. Whatever. Right. For me, it was like, oh, fuck. Come on. Like, <laughs> I just want to go through the same experience that I did and make a different choice. And now you're fucking with me. <laughs> and I went and looked online for how to fix that and found a very angry rant from a person who felt similarly to me <laughs> that explained that, like, no, you have to, like, completely uninstall the game and then go into your system files and delete this thing <laughs> it, it felt so invasive and so in such violation of the expectations that i have when i sit down and play a game <laughs> that like it it just made me so mad that like the next couple of episodes were a real struggle for me and then i stopped playing and like huh. if it did that to me at the beginning of the game it's gonna do that to me again later and i'm not gonna like it then either <laughs> So, like, it is entirely possible that one day I will revisit that game, particularly because I feel as though I can't do Let's Plays again until I beat it, mm. you know? So, like, I want to finish it, but, like, boy, that really rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> Having You're... said that, you know, I get it, you know? Like, yeah. it, th there are many respects in which that is a completely awesome game. Like, I, the music is genuinely fantastic. The yeah. battle system is not like anything I've ever really seen before in it's a game. It's very cool, yeah. Um, Papyrus is hysterical. Papyrus is great. Just, yeah, just the writing in general is really, really great. Um, and if you're the kind of person who, like, enjoys when a game fucks with you, like, if you played <laughs> Doki Doki Literature Club and you were like, oh, this is cool and subversive, then you're gonna fucking love Undertale. Like, absolutely play Undertale. Don't listen to my curmudgeon ass you know, <laughs> talk about this game because I have a very niche and strange opinion about it. <laughs> it definitely deserves to be number one on Daniel's list. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I came around. Yeah, you did. You did. It just took me way longer than I wanted to explain why I don't have this game on my list. <laughs> but yeah, it, no, it's, it, it is objectively a good game. And I know I'm in the minority. Amy, Undertale takes... So good, I would die for every single character yeah, she in would. that game. Uh, me and Daniel experienced a lot of it together. Yeah. So yeah. there's that personal, sentimental aspect as well. Yeah. Uh, we've cosplayed two characters from there. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We, we were Toriel and Sans. Yeah. That's yeah. true. It yeah. turned out really well, I thought. I... <laughs> I know I, you don't think yours turned out really well. I, but. I made a very uncommon cosplay decision for yes. Sans. Uh, Sans is a skeleton, and I decided to uh, make his to replicate. Uh, a lot of people just make a paper mache skull uh, right. for for Sans, just like put on a big paper mache helmet that looks like his head. And what I did was I used stage makeup to paint my entire <laughs> face white, uh, including the top of my head, which I covered with a bald cap, right. and then I. Uh, and then I, and then I use black makeup around my eyes to kind of replicate the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the the holes where his eyes were, um, and uh, and like when when I was just kind of like when I was doing the Sans face like for pictures and stuff, yeah, it, it looked pretty okay. Even even though oh god, the the makeup that like the the process of putting on the makeup was a nightmare for us both. It was because like I, I would keep crying. <laughs> I was the one applying the makeup to Daniel's face. Yeah. And then whenever she put the part on my eyes, I would cry and just like black paint <laughs> would drip all over my white paint and she'd have to redo half of it. Oh, and and the bald cap. I I like oh, it's uh, 
it it sucked but like you know i looked in okay in pictures sometimes but then when i was just like chilling and like and like my face was resting like several people told like like you know like people in my group would come back to me and be like oh yeah i was talking to that guy and they said he looked like a serial killer <laughs> <laughs> well for what it's worth i thought it was great well, thank you yeah i thought amy's tutorial yes that cosplay was, really was, was fucking lit Aww, yeah thank you yeah it was you, very cute yeah she she did this really cool thing where she got like a headband and she put like two pieces she taped like two pieces of felt to the ends of the headband to make the ears oh, oh was, yeah yeah right yeah, uh, yeah. the the headband was white so it blended in with uh-huh. my wig so you couldn't tell that i was wearing a headband that's really cool yeah yeah that was so cool thanks but yeah undertale's music really amazing music's very important to me in video games characters were really endearing yeah story was just as endearing to me <laughs> very good i cry a lot yeah ah oh, yeah good shit it's after you play it the first time it's hard to play it a second time from a different play style and playthrough it is mm. very hard <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That that's that's a game where I kind of wish I could wipe my memory and play that from the beginning. Okay. You know, yeah. Sean, thank you for your patience. What is your game of the decade? My game of the decade was many games <laughs> for a period of time there. There was a little while where it was into the breach. There was a little while where it was Monster Hunter World. Uh what I finally settled on is something that surprised even me at first, which is Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Mm. This came out very early on in the decade for the PSP. I love the PSP, as anyone who's listened to this podcast for any length of time knows. Yes. And on reflection, I think that Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker is not only the best Metal Gear Solid game, and is not only the best PSP game, I think that it may be the best game for me to ever have come out on a handheld. Wow. Because it takes the quintessential Metal Gear Solid experience and turns it into a handheld form in a way that not only doesn't compromise it, but also expands on it in ways that later became staples of the genre for future games. Peace Walker is a kind of a a flashback game. It's part of the big boss saga rather than the Solid Snake saga. Right. And it basically explains how big boss this kind of um, elite soldier character in the Metal Gear canon goes from essentially being kind of a a grunt who just carries out orders to the leader of a sort of mercenary nation for people of all, you know, kind of national origins and backgrounds. Right. Uh, He sort of acquires this offshore oil rig type situation. And then as you play through the game, you're able to build that up into the base that he famously has called Outer Heaven. Uh, You kind of add new struts to it uh with that have different purposes you recruit various mercenaries that you can kind of slot into different roles like you can have them cook or you know you can have them work in the engineer core do all these different things uh and then as either big boss or the characters that you've recruited 
you are able to kind of sortie on missions uh, and advance the game's story. The sheer scope and scale of this game and the fact that they were able to cram it onto the PSP is absolutely fucking remarkable. <laughs> like, it feels like a true big-budget AAA console experience, but you're playing it in the palm of your hand. And that's the first time that I can remember feeling that way in my entire gaming life. <laughs> you know, it was like the first game to truly nail that. Um, the story, which kind of serves as a coda to Metal Gear Solid 3 and resolves a lot of loose ends, while also opening up a bunch of plot threads that continue into the kind of chronological future of the Metal Gear franchise, is poignant and touching and affecting and really beautiful. Um, I was astonished when the end of Metal Gear Solid 3 made me cry like a baby, and I was <laughs> astonished when Peace Walker made me do it again. Um, and the gameplay, when you are like in the field, you know, doing missions, it just felt so modernized compared to a lot of the previous games in the franchise. Like, this is the game that started Metal Gear games feeling like what they ended up feeling like by the time the franchise ended. Huh. That kind of, you know, um, open world, no fixed camera, um, like, over-the-shoulder aiming, like, true stealth action, you know, uh, feeling. That began with Peace Walker. I, I just, I guess, to sum it up altogether... The scope of this game is remarkable. The world of this game is poignant and speaks to so many themes that Kojima, you know, loves to expound on and revisit again and again. Right. And there is no... Well, I'll say especially with the advent of the Switch, there are very few small games that feel that big. Huh. Um, I love Peace Walker. I loved playing it. I played it for many, 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 many hours and, uh, just an absolute masterpiece and my favorite handheld game of all time. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, like the Metal Gear Solid franchise is one that I've that I've been trying to dip my toes into. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you and I, Sean, have been doing like kind of a On long again, time off again. <laughs> yeah. A long time ago, we started kind of this playthrough where, you know, I would watch you play through different metal gear games and we got stuck on three. Yes. But I'd, I'd really love to see peace Walker at some point because I know how like close it is to your heart and you're surprised by it being your game of the decade. I'm not that shocked by it. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. So yeah, that's that, that's a that's a cool pick, and I Good. think I think it's one that's deserved. And I think it's one that's very you. I'm glad. And uh, anytime you want to pick Metal Gear Solid Three back up, just say the word, baby. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look over at Amy, and she seems less thrilled by that. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've only played Metal Gear Solid Two. So oh okay, okay. I had a good time with it though. Good. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's many more. <laughs> there are, yeah two's two's really like the weirdest so if you liked two yeah then... that, that... I, I did actually like, nice. like two has a very special place in my heart but it is far and away the wonkiest weirdest metal gear game to ever have been released <laughs> like, it's a strange game yeah i just whenever i think of that game i can't not think about like 
the fact that there there is like a family of characters in that franchise that just canonically pees whenever you meet them for the first time. Yep. Yep. It's like they're greeting. All right. <laughs> All right. Oh, so- hello, I'm Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Hope but, you enjoyed that. But you have to be miserable while you're doing it. That's Oh, uh... hello, I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Alright, so um <laughs> So Amy's now sitting in a way where she can't really speak into the mic anymore. Amy, right. thank you for joining us yeah. for, for that for that little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Amy has given us a thumbs up. <laughs> Like you, like we'd pick it up. It would just sound weird because it's coming from the other side. I don't know how it would sound. I don't know either. It's a mystery. I guess we'll find out. I guess so. <laughs> All right. So yes, that was uh, Sean and I's games of the decade with guest appearance from yeah. Amy Lee MacArthur. Uh, thank you for everyone that sent in uh, yes. their own games of the decade. And, uh, and thanks to uh, Mitchie for suggesting this and also contributing to this uh, being um, the thing we did by voting for it on our Patreon. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, this this was fun. I'm glad we did this. Me too. Yeah. Uh, It'll be good to have to listen to at the end of the next decade. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a nice little time <laughs> capsule. And when we're doing a, a Smashing Theory uh for you know for smash bros pet d- double ultimate two um then uh then this will be a nice little time capsule a nice little refresher before we go into our our favorite games of the 2020s agreed oh yeah that's right i actually put this in the outline um we we should make at least one prediction because this is a smashing theory sure sean what do you think will be your game of the 2020s what game do you think will come out from 2020 to 2029 that will be your favorite? Whatever Hideo Kojima's next game is. Ooh, uh, that, that's that's good. Because... Death, Death Stranding was noticeably absent from my top 10. Right. Uh, I think that whether it's Death Stranding 2 or some other game entirely, Kojima will have just refined his craft even more and it'll blow me away. I I think that's a cool pick. Cool. I think... Your favorite game of the 2020s will be a Marvel versus DC game developed by NetherRealm. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I hope NetherRealm has sorted out their shit by then, and I can ethically purchase it. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> I don't know if that will be a thing that happens. Uh, well, in the next ten years, I hope it is. But I do think that that either Marvel and DC will be shaking hands enough and playing nice enough mm-hmm. that that actually happens this decade yeah. or Disney will have bought DC. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but that was my pick for what your favorite would be. I don't know what my game of the decade will be in the 2020s. Oh, I know what my game of the 2020s is going to be. Mm-hmm. Mother four developed by Toby Fox. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yep. Uh huh. And then, and then either Earthbound Games or Toby Fox developed <laughs> games will just be my right. favorite games across four decades. That is true. I am going to make my trademark wacky prediction that is unlikely to be true. Okay. They will release a reboot of the Chibi Robo franchise 
that will be everything you ever wanted and more. Oh, that sounds incredible. And it will be your game of the decade next decade. Um, Like, it'll be one of those situations where they're just, like, brushing off an old IP where they haven't done a lot with it. And they will just find a way to accent all the things that make that game, the first game, great. And it won't involve taking pictures of toilet paper with your console's camera. <laughs> I I have a prediction for something that will happen in the next 10 years that will be in your top 10. Oh. Uh, but maybe not because your favorite's already going to be Marvel uh, versus DC. <laughs> right, right, yes, of course. Uh, they will remaster or remake paper mario 2 and it will sell well enough that they make a paper mario 3 that is a true successor to those kinds of paper mario games oh that would be so great that would be my chibi robo remaster experience oh man amy lee what what's your favorite game of the 2020s going to be sorry if this sounds weird she's on the other side of the mic now you can't just put me on the spot like this (laughs) We just came up with stuff. He does it all the time. <laughs> to me. <laughs> uh... do, do we have predictions for what we think Amy's favorite game of I've 20... I've got one. Okay. Blizzard will release a game set in the Overwatch universe that does not play like Overwatch. It will expand the lore in ways that fascinate and enthrall you, and you will come to love it. That's not bad. Overwatch RPG. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> um, my prediction for you is that uh, the, the next Fire Emblem game uh, that is not a remake will... Uh, put even more emphasis on having kids and oh, romance elements. Yeah. And that'll be at least in your top 10 of the decade. That's a fair bet. It will need more than five gay characters. <laughs> I think it will have. gender. <laughs> I, I think it will, I think it will have a minimum of five gay characters total. <laughs> right. Yeah, because. Canceled. Not my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Hmm. Do do you do you have a a unique answer or do you just like ours? Nintendo's three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For VR, you pet uh, puppies. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's pretty good. Nintendo will like have some kind of VR thing <laughs> that's weird and different than yeah. what we expect from VR. Virtual but is Boy the, Squared. Yeah, but is the most successful version of VR to <laughs> exist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay, nice. Good good pick, Amy Lee. Yeah. All right. Uh nice. Cool. I nice. think good capstone to the episode. Um thanks everyone for listening. Yeah. Uh next time on a smashing theory. God, so much can happen in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Like next time on a smashing theory, we record from a secure bunker <laughs> as the coronavirus further ravages society. Like yeah, like I feel like I feel like Nintendo will give us something to talk about in the next two weeks. Okay. Um, well, if what, they don't, we'll just stick another poll on Patreon. Yeah, or maybe. Okay, so either our next episode will be about whatever Nintendo brings up in the next two weeks, or we can do an episode about the second place winner of our Patreon poll. All right, which is the Smash Bros. Cinematic Universe. I'm down. Okay. So, 
send us mail about Nintendo stuff uh, or send us mail about the Smash Bros. Cinematic Universe, <laughs> ways you want us to expand it, what you think Phase 2 will be like. Yeah. Um. Uh, let us know whether or not you just want me to, like, copy-paste what we've talked about in the Smash Bros. Cinematic probably Universe. Probably not a bad idea. Yeah, right? Just we'll recap. As, yeah, kind of a recap. Either, like, make that its own episode, like, in the interim, or... Right. I, I don't know, yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, and anyone that's interested, send me... Send us mail about how you'd prefer that to be. You can either tweet at us at Smashing Theory, or you can email theory at gmail.com. Yes. And uh, and we will feature stuff on our next episode. Yeah. Whatever that ends up being. Exactly. All right. Thanks for listening to our big old decade episode. And in the meantime, I'm speaking very softly because my voice is extremely raw, <laughs> like a potato that we've, has been peeled. We've been doing this for a bit. I hope you have a smashing jam. Thank, thank you. Rest rest yourself, Smashing Theory Man. Oh, I shall. I'm going to have a tea. <laughs> a mug of tea. Bye. And a lemon. <laughs> Special thanks. Special thanks. Special thanks to Lonald. Oh, Lonald. Thank you, Lonald. Hope you're having a good old time. Hope that you enjoy this rhyme. No, we're not doing the rhyming thing again. Too late. Already rhymed it. Boy, that's a crime hit. It's a crime. Thank you, Lonald. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Special thanks to Nymph. Ah, thank you very much, Nick. Or should we say Dickbutt, because Amy's still technically in the room. Oh, thanks, Dickbutt. She, she scowled as I said that. So that's that's the way we're thanking you, Amy Lee has yes, scowled. thank you. Special thanks to my girlfriend, Amy Lee. Wow, if she were here, I'd tell her thanks to her face. Yeah, I, I wish she could be here with us today. But uh, sadly, she can't. Because... Not she, here. She is a ghost. Yeah. Ooh. Thank you, Amy. Thanks. She she's making. Stop telling people I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Special thanks to Mr. Cool Red Luigi. Woohoo! Thanks, thanks, man. Yeah, and thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> you can really hear how much your voice has been strained. Well, what point. are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> thanks for everything, Royce. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode and. Special thanks to Mr. Goobermania. Oh, Goober, 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 Goober. <laughs> wow, you're you're really not finding that bit, huh? <laughs> yeah. You just said Goober five times. I said it four times. Goober, Goober, Goober. Oh, yeah, four times. <laughs> you can't count, but Mr. Goobermania and I can. <laughs> thanks, Mr. Goobermania, for don't, knowing how to count. Don't make assumptions on Mr. <laughs> Goobermania's counting abilities. I'm sure he's great at counting. I, I'm sure he's great at counting, too. Thank you for being great at counting. Yes, now Goober on out of here. Oh, boy, I really hope you find that bit someday. <laughs> special thanks all of our special thanks, patrons. You can also special thank us $20 or more on the Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com slash group. We'll do this. Yeah, we got other stuff on there. We got podcasts and stuff. Yeah. 
Miss, I'm playing mystery tournament. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm doing a pot about it. Yeah, doing playing a bunch of weird games called Road to Mystery. Yeah. Uh, and also give us twenty dollars for a thank you. Yeah, yeah, we'll thank you in that too. Yeah, we'll give you thanks for this, the money banks. It's like Thanksgiving, but you know, it's a, actually a happy holiday and not a travesty. Time for us to stop. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. All right. Thanks for travesty. Room tone. I don't like Thanksgiving. Bad holiday. Good food. Yes. I'm going to get room tone. Now. <laughs> what time I talked to a turkey? And... <laughs> oh so... my god! <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'll... Okay, I'll actually get room tone. <laughs>